Where'd you get that? Plane. Jack was looking for the liquor cart. It's a good thing I found it instead then, huh? Got any more of those? I got a lot more of everything. But you ain't got car blown shit. Is that a no? All right, Sassafras. But if you want a drink, you got to play. Play what? I never. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps hello everybody i'm josh wiggler joined here by mike bloom and today we're going looking for boars josh i never said in a podcast we have to go back down the hatch uh i have said it many times now i said it like 16 times at least i don't want to make you i don't want to make you drink obviously uh yeah but maybe you can make like a funny noise or something instead (laughs) yeah i don't know how i play i never as a sober person uh just a a day or two at this point as you are listening to this removed from the one-year anniversary i'm gonna ding my own bell one year dry yeah maybe that should be like instead it's instead of drinking you ding (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't know i'll come up with some sort of quirk uh every every time i have to drink instead i've got almonds on my desk so i'll eat an <laughs> almond and you'll have to listen to me eat an almond on a podcast all right your protein intake is gonna shoot through the roof over the course of this podcast maybe not the roof of a shrimp truck but uh the roof of i guess i don't know your saline levels or something it's a good thing that i have done everything uh so i will not have to uh i will not have to eat any almonds on this podcast yes this is an almondless podcast according to almond josh free. and his life conquest at this point almond free almond free uh but not sawyer free sawyer filled sawyer filled podcast this week on down the hatch as we are getting into our second ever flashback featuring starring josh holloway as james sawyer ford here in outlaws which was a, an absolute delight to go back and revisit oh my gosh what a what a fun time here on the on the lost podcast yeah so i don't want to repeat what i sort of emphasized last week but i think it it bears a little bit of emphasis that lost in 2005 has been weird we started off with whatever the case may be an episode which to uh you know uh, to our point several weeks ago is our least favorite episode of the season so far Followed up by Hearts and Minds that had, uh, you know, tripping balls in the jungle and Boone and Shannon kissing. Then we follow up with the uh, with special in which we find out that Walt may or may not have psychic powers. And then we just followed up with Ethan getting gunned down. A lot of crazy stuff has happened on Lost as of late, especially compared to, I think, those first nine or ten episodes, which maybe are, were more of a transitional phase into what we currently see on Lost. And... Man, I was so happy to watch this episode. I said it last week that this episode holds a fond place in my heart. I went back to that fond place, and it was just as dusty yet beloved 
as I remembered it all those years ago. Uh, I, I know that we'll definitely get into it in the 4.2 point section. This is definitely a character episode, not a plot episode. If you are looking for a plot episode, this might be the least plot-oriented episode of Lost to date, Josh. But oh my goodness, there's so much delicious character-based content going on here. Almost as delicious as a handful of almonds that you will not partake in in this podcast. Or a, a, a cup of warm coffee in the middle of the jungle. Uh, ooh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As we tell, you know, some nice fun stories about head injuries and reincarnated dog spirits. Yeah, 100%. All right, so we're going to be talking about Outlaws. We're going to talk about Sawyer. We're going to talk about all things Lost today on Down the Hatch, a spoiler-filled Lost Rewatch podcast. This podcast is not safe for you unless you have listened uh, slash watched all of Lost uh, by by this point. Uh, you should know this. Uh, if you don't, uh, then welcome to the podcast. You must be here by accident. Uh, if you're not subscribed already, please do so. Postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch for our Apple feed, but you can find us however you get your podcasts, your ratings and reviews. Greatly appreciated. Uh, we've got some announcements before we get into the podcast today, Mike. Uh, some things have happened in the Down the Hatch universe. Primarily, we released our recap for Homecoming a couple of days earlier uh, than, uh, than than we normally do. We released that on a Wednesday rather than our typical Friday spot. Mike, we were so happy with Homecoming that we just wanted to get that out into the universe as yeah. quickly as possible. Much like Charlie, we sort of unloaded a bit quicker than some people may have expected. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. It was a surprise, a blind side to everybody. Uh, but in order to, to ease the, the, the waiting period between the early homecoming release and the standard release of Outlaws, we unleashed a different podcast into the Down the Hatch feed, and that is The Lindelof Volume 1. We had been threatening The Lindelof <laughs> for weeks and weeks now. Uh, the Lost-oriented song parody competition in which uh, uh, competitors from all around the world tossed their, their voices into the ring to compete for a wombat station hat if you have not listened to the lindelof volume one it is currently available in the down the hatch feed voting for the lindelof is still active and will be until december 3rd is when the voting is going to close postshowrecaps.com slash vote damon postshowrecaps.com slash vote damon is how you vote for the lindelof we will reveal the winner of the lindelof in our podcast about in translation coming your way one week from today. So uh, you're going to have to wait until December 6th to find out who won the Lindelof. And a shout out to Deanna Alberta on Twitter, who reminded me on Twitter today uh, that she was the the one who initially suggested the name for the Lindelof. I think early uh, early iterations of a lost themed uh, uh, Wandoff had some had uh, there was like there was a name that involved Jack that I don't want to repeat. Uh, as a potential name for the, for the Lindelof. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah, just wait until you, you get, get to Mr. Get, something you, when you get to Thailand, you get a tattoo, and then you maybe get one of those. Yes, the Count Jackulof uh, <laughs> is not where we went with it. Uh, we went with the Lindelof. So shout out to Deanna Alberta for reining me in. Um, how about this for another uh, announcement? Um, guys, I'm going on vacation soon wait josh we have done nearly four months of lost coverage and you have not been convinced yet to not get on an, an, a, 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 some sort of airplane that goes over a body of water for fear of landing on an island 
I'm going on like another like 14 hour flight very soon here. So no, I guess like I'm much like Jack Shepard in the uh, in the season three finale flash forwards where I'm just like flying around all over the world hoping to crash on the island uh, so that I can embark on my true destiny uh billy wallace and rodney sesto style uh but no i'm going away on vacation uh in a few weeks uh and i will be gone for a few weeks i'm going to be gone uh from the very end of 2019 through the first uh couple weeks of 2020 and i'm not going to be able to record uh any podcasts while i am gone it's going to be i, I might not even bring my laptop with what? me this is how dangerous i'm the monastic approach i'm kind of loving I know. it I haven't traveled anywhere without my computer, maybe ever, as like an adult. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it off. Well, Mike. I'm very you know nervous what? just even at the thought. It's almost as if there's some reading you'd be able to take care of. <laughs> That's any what sort I was of electronic thinking. Distraction. I was thinking like I could actually maybe read Watership <laughs> Down on one of these flights. Uh, so, so maybe that's what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen is you get, your destiny will be fulfilled. You will be trying to read Watership Down. You'll end up crashing on an island, and then some a hole is going to end up stealing it from yeah. your luggage and go through it on his own. Yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, so this is what's happening. Uh, because I am going away, we do not, and I'm not going to be able to record podcasts, we do not want to skip the podcast. Our goal is to make it so that you are not losing out on anything uh, from the Lost Down the Hatch podcasting schedule. So Mike and I, it's actually really perfectly timed that Mike Bloom, you've got some free time coming up in your December. Uh, so you and I are actually going to be able to hunker down, down the hatch, and do some binge recording. Uh, of these lost podcasts so that we're going to make sure that we are well and fully stocked up for the entire time that I am away. But what this means practically is the others section where we do our feedback, where you send in your feedback down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is going to be somewhat limited in the weeks ahead. It's going to be limited based on if you can get your feedback in at the right time to make sure that we are recording the podcast by the time that your feedback has arrived. So what I want to do is I want to lay out for you the podcasting schedule that Mike Bloom and I have come up with. Uh, and you will have until these dates to get us feedback for each and every one of these episodes. We're not going to hold ourselves strictly to the 15, 16 others standard for the next few weeks. We'll deal with the others, however many uh, feedback points we have on any given uh, on any, any given episode. Uh, Mike, are you ready for the schedule? Yeah, everybody get a piece of paper and get, a pencil yes. out make sure you get everything in down. here because it, it's it's hot and heavy it, it really is it's coming in quickly yes okay so so get your get 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 a blast door map handy get ready to scribble all over it here is how it's going to work on december 3rd mike bloom and i are going to record our podcast about in translation Make sure you get our feet, your feedback for the Gin and Sun episode by December 3rd. On December 4th, Mike and I are going to record our podcast about numbers. Which makes sense because make that will be a number in the number of the day. It's true. It's absolutely true. So make sure that your feedback for numbers and all things Hurley gets to us by the morning of December 4th. On December 5th. Mike Bloom and I are recording our podcast for Deus Ex Machina. Make sure you have all of your feedback for Deus Ex Machina and John Locke and all things Boone falling out of a beachcraft by the morning of December 5th. Mike and I are going to record Do No Harm on December 6th. We are going to do some podcasting on December 6th. And we might do some harm to ourselves in the process. 
talking about Do No Harm on December 6th. So all things Jack Shepard. Uh, Farkas is going to be in the house. We'll make sure to talk about him. <laughs> Anything that you've got uh, on Jack Shepard and Do No Harm, get that feedback to us by December 6th. December 9th. We are going to re- we are going to be recording the greater good the the second Saeed Jarrah flashback uh K Saeed Jarrah Jarrah uh by December 9th send your feedback for the greater good that morning December 9th December 10th we are going to record our recap of Born to Run the third Kate episode of the season if you've got feedback about that and the plane and poor Tom who gets shot up because Kate gets him shot up uh, if you've got any, the first sighting of Arst is going to be in that episode. If you've got feedback for that episode, that's recording on December 10th. Make sure that you're sending your feedback by then. And then Mike and I are going to record our recap of the first part of Exodus. Yes, you're hearing it here first. Our Exodus coverage will be broken up into two separate podcasts. It's just way too much episode mm-hmm. to do as one podcast. Uh, so Mike and I are going to be recording our recap of the first part of Exodus on December 11th. So send your Exodus part one feedback by that morning. And then Mike and I are thinking about, like, are we going to have any brain capacity to record Exodus parts two and three uh, in this same general period of time? Or are we going to wait until January to record that? And so our Exodus coverage is going to sound very discombobulated. TBD on how that's all going to shake out. Flexible situation. But that's the recording schedule in order to make sure that my vacation is not interrupting your lost programming whatsoever. So what we're essentially telling you guys, binge. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've had, I mean, I love the hatchlings to begin with. We've had a lot of people, you know, keep pace with us of trying to watch one episode per week in which I say, like, you guys have uh, the moderation of a saint at being able to do that because I can barely help myself and just wanting to watch the next episode. We've also had several people, you know, be able to to get ahead of us significantly and be able to dote on, you know, future storylines and how they affect the episodes that we're talking about. I mean, unless you guys want to send us stuff each and every day, I'd say just start watching. I mean, we're going to be talking about the next seven episodes over the course of two weeks. So I would just say... You know, if it's coming up on a holiday weekend for those of us in the States, use that time in between Turkey and football, uh, football, football to watch as much of the rest of season one as you want to and and send us what you want to. As Josh says, you know, we'll sort of take the feedback as it comes. But you guys have no excuse at this point to not just plow ahead through the end of season one and let us know all your thoughts about this glorious swath of episodes. Yeah, I'm excited, uh, Mike, to to do this as a binge. I've been loving the weekly, but I think that this is going to be a, a crazy sprint to the finish for season one for you and I in the recording. Uh, knowing how our Stranger Things podcasting came out, where we where we recorded in a very similar manner of just like locking ourselves down and recording very quickly, uh, it led to some hilarious podcasting. So I think the podcast results on this are going to be great. Uh, but just to set the stakes on all of that again, uh, get your in translation feedback to us by the morning of december 3rd your numbers feedback by the morning of december 4th deus ex machina by the morning of december 5th do no harm by the morning of december 6th the greater good by the morning of december 9th born to run by the morning of december 10th and exodus part one by the morning of december 11th and that's going to take care of our podcasting through january 17th 2020 
that is how we are going to do it here. Your 4.2 stars also. That's very important that you are keeping that. Uh, you're keeping track of all of that because we're gonna we're gonna be keep we're gonna keep meditating on the 4.2 stars. We're gonna keep weighing in on that. Uh, but we're we're recording these all on on the on this truncated timeline. Uh, so if you want to uh, have impact on the 4.2 stars section as we are reading it for the recording, uh, you want to stick to that schedule for the feedback as well. So it's a lot of information right at the top here. Much like uh, Sawyer's story. Much like Sawyer's story. Before we get any further, I want to I wanna thank our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch. Uh, it's my great pleasure to tell you we have partnered up with DC Universe for this episode of Down the Hatch. If you love DC movies, shows, and comic books, we've got great news for you guys. DC Universe, the ultimate DC membership, is offering a special, that's right, special Michael Dawson style, 14-day free trial to our listeners. You get to read over 20,000 digital comics. You can catch up on original series like Titans. And starting November 29th, you can watch DC Universe's newest adult animated series, Harley Quinn, which means that's available for you right now as you're listening to this. Visit www.dcuniverse.com slash podcast O-N-E and use promo code postshow. That's www.dcuniverse.com slash podcast O-N-E for your 14-day free trial. You use promo code postshow. Uh, the code is valid through December 31st. 2019 post show recaps is sponsored by warner brothers digital networks the operator of dc universe dc universe only available in the u.s to continue uh, the we- delay into getting into this episode josh can i just tell a uh, a brief tangential relation between dc as a concept and lost yeah of course so i have decided for whatever reason uh i will admit i have not been too too big into the berlanti series of dc cw related content i watched i think the first like three quarters of arrow season one and then i just sort of fell off for whatever reason so i was inspired to start watching arrow from the very beginning it's all luckily available on american netflix and josh much to my bemusement spoiler alert for the pilot of arrow oliver queen comes back, you know, is embraced to a certain extent by his family, and he has a nice little dinner with his family and his a-hole friend Tommy, and Tommy is catching him up on all the pop culture content he missed in the five years he was at sea, and Tommy, in true synergy with his podcast, says, oh yeah, uh, Lost, they were dead the whole time or something. Ah, is wrong! I mean, I I mean, Angela can tell you I was steaming at that notion, (laughs) but I decided to soldier ahead with Arrow, because uh, I think it's proved how wrong Tommy Arrow's is great. In, in, in every regard. So it made me feel like, okay, the show understands that he's he's as wrong. Uh, Arrow's great. I'm, I'm excited. Great uh, I know that once we sort of get more into it, and especially get more into the, the mythos of it, much like Lost itself, it becomes very interesting. But I'm excited. I mean, again, I liked what I, wa- what I watched with The Flash. I know that's a little bit of lighter fare, quite literally, compared to Arrow. But I'm excited to keep zooming ahead with Oliver Queen and the gang. All right, let's go forth ourselves. Let's zoom into the jungle here. Talking Outlaws, the second Sawyer episode. It's directed by Jack Bender. It's written by Drew Goddard. It initially aired on February 16th, 2005, the 20th birthday of one Emily Sheridan Fox. Wow, she was so close to nearly getting to the age where she could be drinking from little (laughs) liquor bottles in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Emily, a law-abiding citizen, so she never would have even thought of it. 
uh, as a possibility for herself. Uh, we are, as we're on our second Sawyer episode, that means uh, the series Bible is no bueno for Sawyer. We've already read our series Bible entry. Uh, so let's do a, a fake down the hatch series Bible entry. This one comes uh, our way, courtesy of your friend and mine, uh, the great Michael J. Clark, who writes this one for Frank Duckett. Uh, Frank Duckett, of course, for those who do not remember this episode well and are just relying on uh, on on Mike and I to recap everything for you is the guy who's going to get he's the shrimp trucker who's going to get shot in the chest uh, in this episode. This is what Michael J. Clark writes about Frank Duckett, an expat living in Australia. Frank Duckett makes a living running a shrimp food truck. His past, however, is mired in scandal as he owes a lot of money to Hibbs, a former associate of James Sawyer Ford. His twin brother still in the States works as the chief of staff for the president. Ooh, maybe there's a bit of a mix-up where maybe they did a little bit of switcheroo. We see some Frank Duggett stuff where he ends up caught in like a Prince and the Pauper situation in the White House to cover for his brother a couple times during moments of crisis. Uh, Isn't that like, Dave is a different thing. Dave is is an episode of Lost and a Kevin Klein movie. Yes, exactly. So maybe, maybe not that. Maybe it's like a... A lighter lark in lieu of like the Aaron Sorkin take. Maybe it's more like the American president than it is the West Wing in comparing Aaron Sorkin vehicles. The joke, of course, being that Jeff Perry, the actor who plays Frank Duckett, also played Cyrus Bean on ABC's Scandal. A longtime political operative Cyrus Bean on Scandal. Great character. Uh, great performance by by Jeff Perry. And even though it's such a good performance by Jeff Perry, I always think of Jeff Perry as Frank Duckett, the shrimp man. Uh, you gotta imagine what happens when he parks his shrimp truck outside of Ray Mullen's pizza. Oh, I think it's a total, like, peanut butter and chocolate moment where, like, hey, you've got your shrimp in my my peaches. I don't know, like, you get, like, the the sweet and savory combo. Yeah, listen, Outback's got it going on, like, that that combination for quite some time, so it's gotta be a winning formula. I'm honestly... Like a shrimp with uh, fruit salsa? Yeah, I think, I think, like, with that hot sauce? Sawyer, uh, you know, took poor Frank Duckett's life, but also took away the opportunity for those two men to really go into business together and could have produced a culinary (laughs) sensation. It's true. All right, let's get into the episode. Uh, We'll summarize the episode with the help of eight sounds, and let's actually just kick it off right away with a sound. We begin with a flashback a very disturbing scene Uh, we'll play the sound for you and then we'll talk it through he's here come on you'll think you're still with your grandparents okay get under the bed let's go listen to mommy this is really important get under the bed don't make a sound don't come out no matter what happens don't come out okay i love you i love you too mommy let's go down you go I mean, like, literally, this episode begins with a bang. Yeah, and I, ah, I love this. First off, this is by far the darkest opening the show's ever going to have, right? Quite literally from a lighting perspective as well, considering that I believe uh, James Ford's room is darkened at the moment. Uh, Darkest that we're 
ever going to have is is hard to say. Just Shut trying to guy think. Kills a woman and kills himself. It's high up there, man. It's definitely high up there. I just I feel like I'm. Uh, there's got to be something that I'm missing. Outlaws has the darkest intro of any episode of Lost. I mean, if I'm if I'm thumbing my nose at that notion, then just like. Add it to the list of ways in which I underestimated Outlaws yeah. coming into this uh, episode of the Rewind. I mean, I love opening on this for several reasons. First, it sort of is the same uh, compliment that I'll cop on to Hearts and Minds and that Lost is taking a lot of risks. I pointed it out before that maybe some of them don't work, but I love this here because it is such a stark opening to everything else we've seen in the past 15 episodes. You know, I feel like we very rarely start with a flashback, if any. And let's also remember that this story was the very last thing we found out about Sawyer in Confidence Man. The very last thing we saw was, you know, that letter being read and then him sort of, uh, you know, deciding to uh, end his engagement with Dominic Abate and his wife, Kristen, to, (laughs) to not, you know, endanger their son. And to have get reminded of that trauma firsthand after viewers, it was probably what, like, more than two months at this point it is so stark and it's a perfect reminder of the trauma this guy is faced because it's it's also you know it's traumatic enough to have obviously your dad kill your you know commit a murder suicide but to have and this was um, you know not able to be represented in the sound but after sawyer's father kills his mother josh he walks into the room sits on his son's bed while his son is under the bed and shoots himself and I, I know that I think probably because of standards and practices, they weren't able to actually show what happened. But I'm actually happy that that was the case because it has this really artistic choice of us never seeing Sawyer's father from, uh, you know, the boots up. They're essentially playing right. like a nanny from Muppet Babies uh, in that he we just see a pair. Mr. Sheffield. <laughs> exactly. That we just see a pair of cowboy boots walk in sit down on the bed and we see it from poor baby Sawyer's perspective and we just hear a bang and it is so masterfully done. It just kicks off this powerhouse of an episode in such a great way. Uh, and of course on the Island Sawyer is asleep. It's late at night and he like wakes up with a lurch almost as if like he was dreaming of this and really roots you in what it's like to be Sawyer and why he loathes himself so much. Uh, you know, he feels so helpless when he thinks back on that time. Um, but he's also not alone, uh, as Sawyer often is when he is uh, in bed. He's often with the company of somebody. Uh, here is uh, Little Miss Piggy, uh, speaking of Muppet Babies, uh, as there is a boar here who's just like tearing through Sawyer's stuff. Uh, and Sawyer goes to war against the boar. The boar uh, hits it with a baseball bat. The boar runs off with his tarp, uh, and a shirtless Sawyer runs into the jungle after it. And he reaches a clearing and hears some whispering in the air. Uh, and it's the it's the phrase that we'll hear littered throughout the episode. It'll come back around. Now, Josh, this podcast is being released on Black Friday for a lot of people celebrating American Thanksgiving. Could we just assume that the boar was doing some, you know, door busting sales? <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I think that that's pretty clear. Some tarp busting uh, deals at Sawyer's Black yes. Market. Yes, it was it was getting as much as it could uh, at a discounted price uh, to bring to the uh, to the to the Swan Station. Only the boars are permitted to use the computers. Uh, it was going to resell all of this inventory on Cyber Monday. Yeah, and exactly. And then I'm assuming once they get down to the hatch, then Tom Friendly shows up. And is like, oh, 
Took the pigs about five minutes to figure that out. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. The pigs are walking. Listen, uh, pigs are extremely intelligent creatures. I know that Sawyer is just going to regard, and Kate as well, regard the boar as just a boar. But haven't, hasn't research shown that pigs are, like, as complexly minded as humans, if not more so? Listen, I've seen Charlotte's Web. I know this to be true. Yes, yeah, some, some voracious, radiant, humble thingamajigamapig. Some pig stole my stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the next day, Saeed comes to Sawyer. Uh, it says, a boar took your top. Uh, and he's basically just like needling Sawyer about it. He's like, did the boar want to go camping? Well, that's the thing is that, I mean, the the whispers will say it'll come back around. And that's the case here where Saeed gets to be the Sawyer. He gets to be the, the sarcastic jackass for a change. And I do love Sawyer sort of being placed in this very begrudging position of like, man, like, I'm the only person who's experienced this right now, and Saeed's having a lot of fun with it, considering that he and Sawyer have, uh, it seems like they're on cool ground right now, but they have definitely gotten a lot hot-headed in the past. Like, you can see he's clearly enjoying this. I mean, well, he asks him that. It's like, are you enjoying yourself? And Saeed smiles and goes, yes. <laughs> it's, just, it's great. Sassy Saeed is, has been an incredible addition to 2005 Lost. I know. He's, he's wonderful. He truly is. Uh, but he's, he's upset. Uh, he's going to go searching for the pig. But before he goes, he asks Saeed about the whispers. Uh, what was it that you heard while you were in the jungle? Um, and Saeed at first is like kind of downplaying. Like, I, I, I didn't hear anything. Like, it wasn't real. And he's like, wait did you hear something? And as Sawyer will do a couple of times in this episode, just as he gets to like the close of like to the, to the edge of like actually being able to bond with somebody over something, he walks it back. Right. Yeah. He's like, I ah, forget it. I didn't hear it. It's so interesting because when we go back to sound one, I think the last thing Sawyer's mother tells him is like, don't say a word. And it seems really prophetic words. It almost seems like his credo that he took with him where Kate is really the only person who he's revealed himself to. And it's only because she sort of figured out loosely uh, who he was and where he came from. So it sort of is just something that he's going to take here. Obviously, he's going to take it very much in the last scene, where even when he does have this sort of uh, personal uh, acceleration of his character on the island, there's still going to be that part of Sawyer that's like, oh, don't say anything. Make sure you're still that kid hiding under the bed so nobody knows who you truly are or where you are, because that's when you're going to be most susceptible. And it shows here where I think he felt he put himself out there maybe a bit too much, even in front of someone like Saeed, who he feels like he can trust at least remotely. And as a result, he's going to walk away in slow motion. All right. Well, let's walk back to the past once again. Uh, our second flashback scene of the episode. Uh, and we are going to meet somebody who is very familiar to us in terms of pop culture, but is is new to us here in the Lost Lexicon. and indeed is going to be here for a one-and-done scene. Uh, still cannot believe it. Here comes Robert <laughs> Patrick. The T-1000 himself uh, is going to make his uh, his lost debut. Let's listen in on the arrival of Mr. Hibbs. What are you so afraid of? Hmm. I'm the one trimmer, sweetheart. <laughs> 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 okay, this is really awkward. But if I don't say something now, things are liable to get downright embarrassing. Hibs. Hello, Sawyer. Ma'am, I must apologize. I, I figured my good friend Sawyer here'd be alone. I just need a few minutes. Listen, baby. Baby, who is that? Listen. You go down to the bar, no. you get a drink. No, I don't want to leave you here. As soon as I get rid of him, 
Listen, I'll come get you. I'll explain everything. But listen, I, I, just trust me on this. I will find you. I promise. I promise. I got to hand it to you, Sawbucks. How you find women that beautiful to work your grift? Now, if I'm not mistaken, I'm fairly certain I said I'd kill you if I ever saw you again. That's where I'm here. Make things right. Sign. We both know you ain't the killing type. Josh, before we get into this scene uh, in piecemeal, a fun did you know? about Sawyer's arm candy here. Did you do any research into the young lady who's in this scene? No, all I kept thinking was, uh, man, like, she really didn't want to go. Like, she wanted to, like, milk every last bit of screen time on on Lost that she could get. Takes her, like, 20 minutes to get her out of the room. Well, to be fair, she maybe didn't need to do that because this will not be the last time we see this woman. Uh, This is going to be the lotto girl who announces Hurley's winning numbers in two episodes from now. Hey, how about that? And not Uh, only that, Josh, this actress is the name of Brittany Anderson, or quite possibly Brittany Perrineau. It is Harold Perrineau's wife who plays these two roles. Oh my god. Wow, Sawyer is so connected to so many of the Losties. He's uh, both on and off he's, screen. He's gonna hang out with Jack's dad. He his his own dad was going to be killed basically because of Locke's dad. Uh, he's going to have sex with Michael's alternate universe wife, uh, who also in, in this universe gave Hurley millions of dollars. Yeah, I feel like maybe this woman is the Jacob before the Jacob. Right, she's <laughs> she's bringing good fortune to everybody in a manner of speaking. But uh, it looks like she had an opportunity to handle balls before numbers come its way. Oh my goodness, Michael, uh, Lady Jacob uh, in the house. Uh, as is the T one thousand. It still blows my mind that the T one thousand is here. And like, I know that we're gonna see Hibbs double crossing later on, but like, shouldn't shouldn't we have expected it immediately? Like, yes, it's of Robert Patrick. Absolutely. Like, and he yeah. gives such an unblinking. We're gonna talk about you know him enlisting why he wants Sawyer's help there after the noodle incident that was the botched Tampa job. But, I mean, like, considering how unblinking and cold and calculating he is to the point where he's most known for playing an android, shouldn't we have suspected it, considering his typecasting? Probably. I mean, you know, but you may... uh, It depends on, like, what your entry point is, your reference point for Robert Patrick, because, like, if you think of him from the X-Files and you're thinking Agent Doggett, you're like, oh, I can trust that guy. He 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 was uh, he was team team Scully all the way. Uh, at least I think so. I don't. I guess I don't really know too much about the Agent Doggett era. Fitzy, help me out. Uh, but I feel like maybe maybe you're not. But the fact that he's his name is Hibbs. He's he's a fellow con man. He's talking about the Tampa job. Sawyer said he'd kill him if he ever saw him again. Yeah, I think at this point you're pretty inclined not to trust this guy. Uh, but I think it also speaks to Sawyer's deep need for vengeance mm. uh you know he's so he's so desperate to to get back at uh at the guy who who basically derailed his entire life um and he's not really gonna do do his due diligence here uh when when hibbs shows up but i can't believe we only see hibbs this one time yeah i feel like it's it's wild i mean we we've, we've made the jokes about uh the predator in the past and even the whole like it'll come back around is kind of like straight out of the predator uh, when he's like, turn around in Predator. Uh, but Bill Duke from Predator is going to show up in a later Sawyer flashback. 
in the in every man for himself, which I remember, Mike, you've got a lot of hot takes about. I have not yet forgotten. As hot that. as Tampa. As hot as the Tampa job. But like that's a great example. How did we never see the Tampa so job? So fun fact. How did we never get the Tampa job? Fun fact about that, because I was looking this up as well. Apparently we were going to see the Tampa uh, job. That's a that's that's what uh the flashback for a drift on. Exactly. Was. And they said, no, no, no. We've got much better content here for this burgeoning flower of an episode that is season right. two episode two adrift which makes me feel like if that's what they wanted adrift to be it makes me really wonder what happens to the tampa job uh but yeah i mean i could imagine hips would be there we can certainly talk about what would have happened had oceanic 815 not crashed i would have assumed that sawyer would have been on his own vengeance mission to go after hips and maybe hips would be the new sawyer in terms of uh, his path of uh getting revenge it is so interesting in that this scene in particular josh feels so neo-Western to me. It feels very much like No Country for Old Men in terms of, you know, Sawyer being, uh, you know, the the man with the black hat walking around and just being like, yeah, I, I said I'd kill you next time you walked into my town. And just the, the, the cowboy way he was speaking, I guess he was sort of taking, he was living in his dad's shoes in that regard. And you see, it's like, it's something that fuels Sawyer, but it's also something that does not fit Sawyer well. You know, he's, he's stuffing some paper towels at the end of those cowboy boots who so can fill them. And Hibbs accurately calls him out at this point saying, you're not the killing type. And we'll see that Sawyer chickens out initially or shrimps out when he gets down to Australia because, yeah, that is not James Ford. And I think this is the, the Sawyer, both the OG Sawyer and the new Sawyer coming out of him at this point when he is talking this big game of I'm going to kill Hibbs. I'm going to kill Sawyer. I'm going to get my vengeance. Screw you, Boar. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a great scene. I'm just, I just, I wish that we'd gotten more Hibs. Uh, and if not for the fact that like Sawyer has grown so much on the island by the time that he leaves at the end of the series, I would think that like, basically like what, whatever the Ajira flight lands, wherever it lands, Sawyer's like, all right, I know I've made great strides here. I just have to do one thing real quick. I think it had Juliet survived. I mean, had Juliet survived the end of season five, a lot of different things may have happened, but I feel like. Juliet would have been like the lone person to convince Sawyer to not go ape shit on Hibbs should she ever run into him again. I think he is unfettered at this point. He's like, great, got my freedom. I'm not on an island anymore. Let me get, you know, I killed yeah. Anthony Cooper. That's one off my list. First order of business. Got to take care of Hibbs. Uh, Dibs but on Hibbs. Gonna, Dibs on Hibbs. Hibbs is going to be able to convince Sawyer that he needs to go to Sydney and track down this guy. Frank Duckett runs a shrimp truck it. Uh, and, That's not an uh, easy way to remember it. His name used to be Frank Sawyer, a name I believe you appropriated for yourself. Just love that line. It's just very like mechanical, uh, which again fits C one thousand. Maybe uh, maybe Hibbs was a robot constructed by like Charles Winmore or something <laughs> to get possible. him onto the island. <laughs> it's possible. It could just be the T one thousand. Now the T one thousand, Mike. Uh, lest we forget, is a shapeshifter yes. in his own right. Uh, is is Hibbs? The smoke monster, mm. uh, a fellow shapeshifter. Maybe, you know, we've seen mother. We haven't seen father. Ah, Hibbs, daddy. Hib, the Hibbs, daddy theory is alive and daddy well. Daddy Hibbs, daddy Hibbs. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was going to, we were going to save this for the others, uh, but it's worth mentioning here that there was another universe where um, uh, Forrest Whitaker almost played Hibbs, uh, but instead it ended up being Robert Patrick. Wow. Who would have uh, thought? Forrest Whitaker sitting in that chair, cock-blocking Sawyer and Harold Perrineau's wife. <laughs> I don't know. We just haven't said the words Forrest Whitaker in a long time. I know. We got to um, check that box off. We got to get back in there. All right. Back on the island in the jungle, uh, Jack and Kate, they're dropping off all the guns. 
uh, all of the guns uh, ha- are are accounted for except for the one. Kate's like, who didn't bring their gun back? Jack's like, are you serious? Come on. <laughs> I do like you know, how uh, Jack is taken to running the weapon shop in the little town that the Losties have set up. He's the armorer. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, well, what do you want to buy? I got everything. Yeah. Well, I have five What guns. are you buying? <laughs> what are you selling? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's got the guns. Uh, Sawyer has not dropped off his gun. And Kate says, all right, I can get his gun back. We speak the same language. And Jack says, yeah, last time you did that, I remember you guys made out. And then Kate retorts with, well, I only did that because torturing him and stabbing him in the arm didn't work. Jack's like, ah, touche. But he says, don't bother. We don't, you don't, I don't want you to owe him anything. Don't worry about the gun. So Jack, the leading advocate of gun safety here on the island, is suddenly going to decide that it's totally okay for Sawyer to have an armed weapon. Yeah, I'm, Uh, I'm very intrigued by his attitude here. And it feels like it could come from one of two places for me. It's either that, Sawyer proved his worth to Jack by helping him in the last episode with the takedown of Ethan, that he proved that he wasn't as necessarily of a free agent as he may be uh, making himself out to be, that he is someone who wants to work for the betterment of the group. Or, as to what he said here, it's really just because he doesn't want Kate to owe him anything anymore, because he knows when he does, it leads to smoochies. It leads to smoochie-boochies. Claire's going to come to Charlie. Wait, what is, what is Charlie making here? Is he, I, it looks like, honestly, the device they use in a foot in a shoe store to measure yes, feet. Yes, I have that in my notes, and it looked like something that like you measure your shoe size yeah. with. Is Charlie like making a footlocker? Is everyone going into <laughs> business on the island? Jack, Jack's selling weapons. Sawyer's got his business running. Charlie's uh, investing in footwear. Imagine on the island, there is a magic Reebok, <laughs> and anything... And anything you want to be inside of it, there it would be. Uh, I'm wearing uh, a shirt with two stripes. One is white, yeah. one is black. <laughs> one is black, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, he's, he's obviously he's like making a shovel, right? Because he's going to go and bury Ethan. Um, but Claire's going to come up to Charlie, and she wants to talk to him. She's been having dreams. Charlie's in the dreams. You want to go for a walk? And Charlie's like, no, I got to go do something. See ya. And Claire like, gives him like this very awkward peace sign. And this is like one of the most uncomfortable moments uh, that like one of those like most uncomfortable, forgettable moments on Lost where Charlie just like totally pieces out on Claire. And then Claire literally like responds by being like, oh, OK, well, peace back yourself. I'm, she like holds up the peace sign. It's very uncomfortable. I'm trying to remember canonically. Is Charlie a good liar or not? Because he's terrible in this moment. And granted, he's dealing with a lot of mental anguish and confusion. So I could understand it. But come up with something better than I was. I'm going to go do something. <laughs> No, I don't think he's a good liar so much as he he does lie a decent amount. Like there is an element of dishonesty to Charlie, uh, but I don't think that he's he's uh, especially effective as a, as a schemer and plotter. I think that he's often caught in this regard. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess Charlie might have to. He's going to definitely work, you know, under Sawyer in season two when it comes to getting his own form of revenge. But maybe he could learn a bit from Sawyer here as well in terms of just how to lie and keep up a genuine facade. Sawyer is going to show us how he lies in this very next scene as he goes off into the jungle. He finds his tarp. He's storming back to camp with the tarp. He hears the whispers again. And here comes the boar. Miss Piggy comes charging. Ah! (laughs) Just like, wait, all right. Now we need a blue wave version of law so that we can take out all the boars and put in Miss Piggy instead. I know. Well, not for nothing, too. There's going to be the season two episode where Sawyer goes chasing after a frog. Uh, that he murders. Yeah. So Sawyer Sawyer kills Kermy at a later date. Uh, so maybe this is like some preemptive time travel revenge on Miss Piggy's part for what uh, Sawyer did. Poor Kermy! Sorry, Sawyer, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> I've got tadpoles. 
he squashes him. He squashes him like a bug or a, or a frog. Uh, but yeah, the pig is going to charge at Sawyer and, and, and charge him and leave Sawyer stranded in the mud. He's going to be lying in the mud and we get a very classic son of a bitch from Sawyer. I was trying to remember. It's very fun. Did, was this the first big Sawyer son of a bitch? I was really trying to rack my brain of the past 15 episodes. I'm sure he said it, but like this feels like the did I do that from Sawyer. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely had it before. We've certainly had SOBs from Sawyer before, but this does feel like uh, very pronounced uh, in like one of those ways where like he is so angry, but in a way that we cannot help but laugh very hard at. Yeah. Uh, which is, I, th- those are the best uh, SOB line reads from, from Sawyer. Um, speaking of line reads, this one's a classic. Uh, this, uh, let's, let's listen to this next sound uh, and, and talk further why we included it here uh, in the summary. A boar did all this. Last night, wrecked my tent. This morning, when I went to get my tent back, it attacks me from behind, runs off into the jungle like a cow. A boar wouldn't just attack you for no reason. Thank you, boar expert. <laughs> Thank you, boar expert. So, to spoil this, is this the is this the best line of Lost? Thank you, boar expert. Well, I told you, Josh. Uh, there will be a, a line from Sawyer that might even outrank this one. Uh, I'm, Josh Holloway is so damn good on so many levels. This episode just reminds me of it from both a comedic and a dramatic perspective. There are so many things that only he can sell. In terms of line yeah. delivery, thank you, Boar Expert, is a D plus line at best, said by basically ninety percent of actors out there. But Josh Holloway has the perfect mixture of sarcasm and frustration to let out a thank you, Boar Expert, and have it be legitimately lol worthy. This is really like a a big episode for Josh Holloway in general, and I know that we're we're goofing a lot on the first third of this episode because I will say. Uh, I love this episode to pieces. I will say, I think the first third or so is not amazing. Uh, it's more so goofy, which is what we're really getting into. But once we start hitting, you know, the, the I never seed, it just gets absolutely incredible. But this is a, yeah, little, but- a little bit of comedy for the drama. But but what I like about about having that scene represented here in the sounds is I think that that's a good encapsulation of the first part of this episode, which aside from that very dark first scene uh, and like the like sort of the tension of the Hibs scene, there's a there's a lot of comedy uh, in, in the first part of this episode. There's a lot of comedy throughout the episode. And then there are like these really dramatic scenes mm. as well um, that this is like some of the sounds that we're going to pull for this episode. Spoiler alert or some some of the lengthiest sound clips that we've pulled for any podcast here on Down the Hatch so far. Uh, you know, so far it's it's been relatively light. It's about to get really robust pretty soon. Um, but it is it is an episode that is so rooted in character, but also so rooted in a certain type of tone that sometimes Lost is really able to deliver on. An episode that can be both like a serious character exploration, but also just kind of a blast. Yeah. Uh, and like Sawyer wiping out in the mud, you can't really do justice to something like that the same way like we can't really do justice to the charlie physical comedy from a couple of episodes back uh when he's like playing around with claire's diary like it's stuff like that that i feel like the thank you bore expert is kind of like an audio monument uh to some of the great physical comedy that exists in this episode yeah i mean this is a side of josh holloway that we're not really gonna see for the rest of the episode and i think it just shows the range that he's able to portray and why sawyer is really a trickier thread to needle than I think a lot of people may realize. Uh, I know that we sort of had spoke about how two-dimensional he'd come across, at least in the first eight episodes, but 
you have to rock a really tight rope between just being an outright asshole but being sort of like that churlish, charming Southern cad. And I feel like he's able to sort of show both sides of that in this episode. So, I mean, I I really enjoyed this first third. Granted, from a character-based perspective, I love what we're about to get into. We're about to get down and dirty in the mud in terms of character stuff, but we're going to have a bit of a troll up here, bore expert included, and it's very fun to dote on it. Yeah, so Sawyer tells Kate, like, whatever, I, this is my fight. I'm going off into the jungle. I'm going to take care of this boar. Stop making fun of me. Uh, and then we're going to have a flashback where Sawyer is now in Sydney. And now you we know why Sawyer You can tell because there's the opera house. There it is. That's always the sign. Uh, and he's meeting up with Hibbs's buddy, who has, like, the best sweater game in all of Lost. This guy is wearing, like, the nicest knit sweater I've seen. Yeah, I love... It's as if you said, okay, you have to dress up a guy like he lives on a dock. It's like, oh, yeah, of course he wear, like, a baggy knit sweater. And, uh, and, have, and have a mustache, but, like, keep the rest of it unkempt. And so he just, like... He looks like uh, Monterey Jack from Rescue Rangers, <laughs> but as a human. <laughs> yes, exactly. He just needs the, the goggles and, like, the big overcoat and a little fly sidekick. And that's, uh, he's a, he's, maybe if they do a live-action version for whatever reason, he'd be perfect for it. The stash is great. I forget exactly what Sawyer says where he's like, Hibbs is an asshole. And the guy's like, yeah, he is, isn't he? Uh, he has like this look of glee on his face. Uh, this, is a, this is a great side character. Not enough MVP points in this episode to award him one, but he's, he's close. He's on the precipice for me. Yeah, and, and, he, and uh, he has a really interesting moment where he says, you know, you look, you look a man in the eye and you point a gun at him, you find who you really are, mate. And it goes back to, I guess, this idea of identifiers which i know i keep going back to that scene in the pilot where sawyer says you know everybody has a part to play but i just feel like it's such a great thesis statement of at least the initial stages of the show and how it reverses it by the end that you know it's this idea of looking into who you really are whether it's john Locke looking into the eye of the island or it's you know jack facing down a visage of his father to realize who he may be as a reflection of that and here we have this guy telling sawyer like hey if you have a gun in your hand, what you're going to do with that, whether shoot someone or not, is going to be who you really are. You talk a big game, but we'll see, you know, if you end up cashing that check that your mouth is writing once you have that cold, hard steel in your grip. Yeah, no refunds if you're not a killer. Uh, it's a bummer. You should have thought about that before you bought the thing. Yeah, exactly. Listen, yeah, I guess he's clearly not as good with his Black Friday deals as uh, Sawyer's... <laughs> as the boar. As, as Sawyer's the Bazaar with the, the boar deals. Like, oh, I'll return your tarp. Uh, I used it up for the weekend anyway and decided to package it up and return it to get, you know, those cre- those nice credit points that I can spend elsewhere. Carte blanche. Yeah, Sawbucks. Sawbucks as they are uh, named according to Hibbs. Yeah, I do, I do love what that little, that? like, cute nickname. I'm sure Sawyer hates that. To no end that like he has a little nickname because he's like, I have my own nickname. I created my own nickname and you give me a nickname on top of a nickname that I don't want. Wow, that's a little handsish. Yeah, I don't even like Hibbs. (laughs) I don't even like that little Hibbs. Uh, Back on the island, Hurley is helping Charlie with Ethan's body. They are going to bury Ethan and Hurley is a little afraid that Ethan's going to be coming back as a zombie. Do you think this is sincere or not? Because I feel like Hurley is, you know, he has a little bit of weirdness going on, and and he could be a little bit more conspiratorial-minded, but he's also a very jocular person. Like, do you feel that Hurley is actually legitimate in saying this? No, I don't. I think that he's making a joke, and, you know, he's trying to, like, make light of the situation with Charlie, and the fact that Charlie's not responding... Uh, is what gets Hurley to go to Saeed and be like, yeah, I think Charlie's got PTSD, man. Like, he killed uh, a guy, I, shot a guy. I, again, if you're talking about, like, com- comedic moments in this first part of the episode, I actually laughed out loud when Hurley said, 
Did you ever get that Gulf War syndrome inside response? Right. That was the other side. That was the other <laughs> side. That's good. Because I, I just line. love this idea that, like, yeah, Saeed is a person stuck on an island with justifiably a bunch of dumb Americans for the most part and have to, like, <laughs> right. deal with the yeah. fact that, like, yes, he was involved in the, in the, you know, the Iraq War, but on the other side of things and how awkward that situation must be for him. Uh, but that's going to lead later on to a really good scene between Saeed and Charlie. We'll talk about that in a little while. In the meanwhile, let's get back to Sawyer, who is off on his expedition. He's hunting boar, uh, except he's really like hunting maybe Boone <laughs> or maybe Charlie. Uh, Kate shows that, up and says, that footprint's probably Boone. That'd be really interesting, though. Imagine a different world where Sawyer follows Boone's footprint and discovers the hatch. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah, that's a good episode. Considering that, I mean, I guess if all the people to find it, it'd probably be... He would probably be the best one, considering that discretion is sort of, you know, part of his character. But you'd have to assume that he'd try to, like, finagle some sort of deal with them, right? To, to find something, to get something out of them? Yeah, Locke definitely knocks him out and ties him up. And Sawyer is, like, tied up in the jungle for a yeah, while. Yeah, and he's going to chase Anthony Cooper through the jungle, thinking that he's the real Sawyer. Yeah, he probably escapes. They probably figure out that they've got a bad dad in common. Uh, like, a lot escalates if uh, Sawyer follows those footprints to the hatch, I think. Um, instead, uh, Kate shows up. She says, you've been tracking a bunch of different people, some birds, a rock slide, yourself, everything except a boar. You've got no idea what you're yeah, doing. Is, wait, is Sawyer this dense that he can't tell the difference know. between human tracks, bird tracks, and rock tracks? I guess at this point, yeah, I think he's going to get better at this as the series goes along. But uh, right now, it, this, the tracking is just not. Rocks don't have feet, Sawyer. <laughs> We don't know that. Uh, uh, maybe you know, yeah, it's we a don't crazy know lost island. Maybe the rocks have legs. Yeah, it's not impossible. The rock god is out there, so who knows? And now I'm just imagining rocks with like the legs from the leg lamb from a Christmas story of like just the very <laughs> yeah. nicely done up pantyhose legs walking around the island. Fragile must be Italian. Um, Kate says, "Here's what I want. I'm going to track for you, but I want a blank check." To Boolarasa. Yeah, exactly. Blank slate. Exactly. I want to be able to write myself a million dollars from this rich guy's money so I can spend it on all the pizza parties and the butler that I want. I saw yes. that movie. I saw that movie as well. That's exactly what she wants. She wants a copy of Blank Check. And if uh, if if Sawyer doesn't have it, then the fourth force will do. Uh, but she says, anytime, anytime I want something from your stash, I get it. No questions asked. Take it or leave it. Uh, and eventually he gives in. Uh, and that leads to the, the team up between Sawyer and Kate, and it leads to a nighttime activity that we've already teased a little bit here at the start well, of this podcast. Before we get into it, can I just say that I know this was a ways back at this point in the podcast, but I love the way Josh Holloway says sassafras. Like it's yeah, so sassafras. it's something that neither you or I can pull off because we're such yanks. But Josh Holloway has that southern you know, southern lilt to him. When you when you say yank, I just need some clarification. Yeah, no, we're not talking about the alternate me. title for the Lindelof, Josh. Don't worry. Okay, okay, um, all right. But it's also an interesting point when Kate says, you know, Jack was looking for the liquor cart. Do we think that Jack was looking for it for disinfectant or knowing what we know about Jack before coming to the island? Could he have been looking for it for a different reason? I think he was looking for it for disinfectant. I, I don't think that he's fully there yet. Um, I think like the the building blocks are there for Jack to have a drinking problem, but I don't think that it's 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 fully there in this moment. Certainly, given everything else we see from Jack uh, on the island at this point, I think that he's like so dead set on like doing what he perceives to be the right thing out there that I don't think that like 
Jack dealing with uh, alcoholism is something that's really front of mind for the character at this point. Either that, or he's very home alone of like, great, that stewardess Cindy isn't going to bogart all the little vodka bottles, so I better get my hands on him before she comes back around. Right, it's true. She'll come back around. Uh, (laughs) All right, Sassafras, let's get in to the I never seen. And just to paint the picture, because we're going to play the scene in full. We said last week we got to play the scene in full. We're going to do that. Uh, It's Sawyer and Kate. They're by a campfire. They're in the middle of the jungle. And they start playing a drinking game that Sawyer will describe the rules to. And it involves drinking out of these little tiny airplane bottles of liquor. And this ridiculous scene that is both very funny, very touching, a little scary, uh, really runs a great emotional range. Just one of the great scenes, not just of Lost Season 1, not just of this episode, but of Lost, period, uh, ensues. I'm so happy to relive this once again in audio form. Let's take it away to I Never. I never. I'm supposed to know what that means. Call it a way to get to know each other better. For example... I know you've never been to college. And how do you know that? If you had, you'd have heard about never. <laughs> it's simple. You say I never and then you finish the sentence. If it's something you did, you drink. Something you never did, you don't drink. That makes absolutely no sense. Learn by example. I never kissed a man. Now you drink. Because you've kissed a man. Your turn. I never implied that I've been to college. Well, I never have. <sighs> I've never been to Disneyland. Oh, that's just sad. <laughs> I never wore pink. I knew it. <laughs> the 80s. Mm-hmm. I never voted Democrat. I never voted. I've never been in love. You've never been in love. I ain't drinking, am I? I've never had a one-night stand. Bottoms up, sailor. (laughs) I got a drink for each one. Your turn. I've never been married. Didn't last very long. Never blamed a bore for all my problems. I never cared about having carte blanche because I just wanted to spend some time with the only other person on this island that just don't belong. Never carried a letter around for 20 years because I couldn't get over my baggage.
I never killed a man. entire podcast about this scene because there's so much good stuff in it um i think you know for a while josh i had been fervently anti jack and kate together i thought like oh kate and sawyer is much more electric much more i keep saying hot and heavy i'm not entirely sure why that's in my head today but it, it felt a lot more uh kinetic but then i realized and i think it took me watching this episode to realize that kate and sawyer are much better bffs like i think what is so great about this scene is that Kate and Sawyer are undoubtedly the two biggest liars in the group right now, on the show right now. And for the first time in nearly, you know, 20 episodes of watching these people, these two finally let their guards down and say, okay, you recognize me as a BSer, vice versa. Let's just sort of, you know, break down the walls and let, let's get to know each other. And I love that they just sort of let their inhibitions fly and not, you know, in a huge lascivious way, but just in a personal way. I mean, I'd like to believe that everything they're drinking about is true, that they're not lying to the other person. And that's just such a key element of the Kate and Sawyer relationship is that they sort of identified the other one as being alike. And maybe one of the reasons why it ends up being Kate and Jack and Sawyer and Juliet is that they need those sort of oppositional forces to bring those parts out of them. Otherwise, it would just be Kate and Sawyer just, like, continually dragging each other down into this abyss of morality. Uh, and it's sort of represented here in the fact that they're sort of talking about, hey, yeah, we both killed people. Interesting. Right, 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 right. No, a lot is revealed here. Um, the fact that Kate was married once, mm -hmm. you know, I know that it's not the most popular storyline of all the Kate flashback material that we get, that she's, you know, temporarily married to Nathan Fillion. Even though everyone typically loves Nathan Fillion, I don't know why he gets uh, dumped upon so badly for the I do of it all. Um, but there's there's just a lot here. There's there's a lot here. It's funny. Uh, it's very cutting in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, it definitely takes a turn when Kate starts psychoanalyzing Sawyer and basically saying like, yeah, you're only out here because you're pursuing a foolish mission. This is your white whale and clearly the boar is not right. just a boar. Sawyer strikes back by being like, well... I know you wanted to come out and bomb with me because we see each other as kindred outcasts, but you're not going to be upfront about it. So I love the way this scene just sort of, you know, takes a look at hills and valleys. We go a long way from Disneyland to I've never killed a man. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a definitely it's a ride. As we would say on a different podcast, it's a killer ride. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely turbulent for sure. Uh, um, it's, yeah. Well, We'll have cause to unpack this further as we get into the into the other section here, but like it just it just needs to be said. That scene is a is a goddamn knockout. Yeah. It is just it is such a standout scene, and it, they act the hell out of it. 
Uh, it's so true to character. Uh, I really like what you're saying, this idea of Kate and Sawyer as BFF. And that's certainly like a big hope that I have for both of those characters after the island. That like the kind of awkwardness that they've had in the past that they're able to get over that to some degree. Because uh, they really are so great together. Uh, uh, and they, they really do speak the same language. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, they're able to read each other so well to the point where like, I'm assuming Sawyer brought up I've never killed a man because I think he's made certain sort of reads from Kate because he's done it on his own and just... The tension, I know, again, it can't be accounted for from an audio medium, but the tension of, you know, Sawyer saying, I never killed a guy, Kate drinking, and it just lingering on Sawyer as he does that perfect Josh Holloway glare at her, and then just slowly brings the bottle to his lips and sips it. It's sort of like a simultaneous power move, yet a reach across the aisle to be like, no, we're comrades in arms. But it's also a way of her saying, like, you're not so different from me. You might put yourself up on a pedestal right now and denigrate me by saying that I'm chasing after some sort of fruitless form of revenge, but we're in the same boat, honey, and you've, we've got nowhere to go but to sail through this moral sea. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's keep going with the episode. We we get like a, a like a, a hybrid flashback slash dream where Sawyer is once again underneath the bed and hears his father approaching and sees the footsteps, and then it turns into the boar. Uh, his dad is Miss Piggy? Is that what's happening? Oh my goodness, Sawyer is half Muppet! It all makes sense now! That's why it gets into such goofy pratfalls before. I mean, James Ford, uh, Josh Holloway, uh, combined with the Muppets. Like, if you think of, like, which characters would be better as Muppets uh, versus which characters would be better in their human form interacting with Muppets, uh, Josh Holloway interacting with with actual muppets feels like one of the best combinations yeah and i I know that meme had been going around social media for a bit right of like okay you take a show and you replace all but one character with the muppets it's gotta be it's either gotta be it's either gotta be sawyer or frank lapidus for lost oh lapidus would be good too lapidus would be just to see jeff he like just a look of consternation on his face like how the hell did this is not guam this is the muppet show yeah, I do think that you want somebody who's going to be like a little sardonic, a little sarcastic. Uh, like Matthew Fox would be good because he doesn't suffer fools easily, but he's just not quite as funny as as Sawyer. Um, like I feel like Jorge Garcia would be fun too, but he's just so fun loving. Yeah, Jorge Garcia be a- would be more so like the guest on Sesame Street, you know? Right. Exactly, exactly. But I feel like uh, sub in Josh Holloway for Jason Siegel in like the 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 Muppets go to Russia or whatever. <laughs> am the hell I that a man or am I a boar yeah. expert? <laughs> am I a boar expert? One of Lindelof Part Two. We've got it already yeah. in, the, in the barrel here. A Muppet or a man of science or a man <laughs> of faith? Yeah. Uh, anyways, the story wakes up from the dream, and there's Kate, uh, and he was shaking. He was having a nightmare, and when he wakes up. He sees the campsite is a disaster. There's hoof marks everywhere. And Sora goes, it came after our stuff. And Kate's like, ah, kind of. This has to be the most quiet boar ever. If neither one of them realized that this boar had snug to their camp and ransacked his stuff and peed all over it. Well, what are your boar theories, Mike? Uh, because there's there's the whispering of it'll come back around. Frank Duckett is a dead guy, but he's not a dead guy on the island. So are these the whispers of Frank Duckett authentically? Are these the whispers of a smoke monster that is screwing with Sawyer? If this is a smoke monster that is screwing with Sawyer is, I know, I know, I know, I get it. But is the boar <laughs> the smoke monster? I mean, this might be the most, most legitimate time we can say yes to this question. Right? For all the times he postulated, it's sort of like the, the boar who cried wolf. 
in that regard. <laughs> I, I mean, I could definitely see it. I think from a whisper's perspective, I legitimately think that that is a smoke monster fabrication. Or, I mean, the more likely reason is they just had no effing clue what the whispers were going to be at that point. They just decided to throw it in there. But if you're applying the logic to try to get some headcanon in there, then yes, it would be, you know, the monster at some point analyzed Sawyer, figured out his memories. Frank Duckett isn't necessarily dead on the island, so he can't fully impersonate him, but he could certainly project something. You know, uh, I, since Sawyer is a candidate, he wants to futz with him in any way possible without actually physically harming him. Why not drive him crazy a little bit by playing a, a line that has clearly been echoing in his mind more so than uh, that's why the Sox won't win the World Series? Or Frank Duckett's son came to Sydney after Frank, oh, Frank Duckett Gusset. was shot. Uh, Frank Gusset, Frank Untitled Gusset. <laughs> uh, he came to Sydney and came to bring his dad's body back to America. And so Frank Duckett's body was on the plane. And then uh, Dan Duckett and Frank Duckett, Dan Duckett dies as well. And Frank Duckett's body is now on the island. So now the whispers... Uh, could authentically be Frank Duckett. Mm, what does Dan Duckett sound like? Could it just be, maybe that's why it's echoing, it's in stereo, because Frank taught his son to say that while they were whispers together. That was just what they always say. Yeah, It'll come back around. Their, like, they were boomerang the catchphrase of House Duckett. Uh, It'll come back yeah, around. Yeah, they were big boomerang fans. They well, always I mean, boomerangs. like, the location was appropriate. Yeah, uh, so it works. Uh, here comes Locke. Uh, Sawyer sticks a gun up at Locke because Locke comes through the jungle and Locke's just like crushing some fruit. I love, I love Locke here. What happened to your campsite? Uh, <laughs> A-hole so Locke showing his face this episode. A-hole slash weird Locke. We're going to get into it. But I just love like, it. The way he watches their scene, he's like, wow, you sure don't know what you're doing, do you? Well, I'm uh, off. It's great. It's great. I love Locke in this moment. But he shows up. He was looking for salvage from the crash. Uh, and in the process, he found some coffee. So they make coffee. Yeah, do, do you think this is legitimate? Again, if we're talking about lying. Do we think my theory is that Locke was looking for another entrance to the hatch uh, and he just happened well, to stumble upon them? I, I don't think that I can sign on for that, because if it ever occurs to Locke to look for another entrance to the hatch, then he should find it. It's not <laughs> hard to find. So I have to believe that it just does not occur to him to ever look for another way into the hatch. Much, maybe maybe uh, the hatch, much like the island, is constantly moving from a riverbed to, you know, a patch in the middle of the jungle. Maybe the door to the hatch did as well. Possible. It's possible. Either way, he finds two bags of coffee. He said, I, I thought I'd come by and say howdy. Uh, and so they're making some coffee, and Sawyer's still rummaging around all of his stuff. And he's like, the more peed on my shirt. Took my shirt out of my bag and peed on my shirt. Uh, so if it is the smoke monster, then the smoke monster can pee? Yeah, I guess so. Smoky urine? Is apparently canon on Lost now, or maybe maybe this is the juvenile side of the Man in Black come out of like I never got to play practical jokes on my brother. Uh, you know, I, I got killed before I could really capitalize on that. So let me take advantage. Yeah. I'll, I'll put a ha- uh, Locke's hand in a bowl of warm water when we're back at camp and put a really a really cruel fate for the smoke monster is that he has no physical form, but he still has to pee and poo. Oh, that'd be the worst. That's that's like a would that's you stinks. rather? Like would you rather be immortal and never die and be able to transform into anything you want but you have to go to the bathroom uh all the time like i mean but, yeah, for I all know. we know maybe it was a thing where like he you know died in the state in which you know he ended up ending his life and jacob just happened to kill him when he was about to go to the bathroom and so he has oh, he's had terrible. to go the entirety that he's been in this sort of weird existence yeah that's why he wants to get off the island so bad <laughs> so i can finally take a whiz 
this place is bad. In fact, for that's my the first indigestion. time. The first thing that happens once Jacob dies and he formally takes Locke's form, he just takes a big old piss in the jungle while Alana oh, and everybody else are watching. Uh, speaking of things that smell, I guess uh, Sawyer wears cologne. Kate makes the joke like maybe the boar doesn't like your cologne. Do you think goes, I don't wear cologne? I would think either he wears cologne or he does a thing where like he's reading through magazines and like sees the cologne samples and like rubs them on his neck. You know, I could see him doing both of those things. I love the idea of Sawyer's just spritzing cologne on himself on the island. Yeah, who are you trying to impress? I don't know. Everyone's smelling like Dookie out there. It's amazing. It's incredible. Anyway, so he's he's complaining about the boar and how he thinks the boar has a vendetta against him. And it leads to an anecdote from Locke about uh, a story from his past involving... Uh, a, an animal with a lot of uh, a lot of personality projected upon it. Let's hear from John Locke. My sister Jeannie died when I was a boy. Fell off the monkey bars and broke her neck. And my mother, well, my foster mother, she blamed herself, of course. Thought she wasn't watching close enough. So she stopped eating, stopped sleeping. The neighbors started talking. Afraid she might do something to herself, I guess. Uh, Ooh, that's good. Anyway, about six months after Jeannie's funeral, this golden retriever comes padding up our driveway, walks right into our house, sits down on the floor, and looks right at my mother there on the couch. And my mother looks back at the dog. After about a minute of this, then both staring at each other like that, my mother... Bursts into tears. Beautiful dog. No tags, no collar. Healthy and sweet. Dog slept in Jeannie's old room on Jeannie's old bed. And stayed with us until my mother passed. Five years later. Then disappeared back to... Wherever it was she came from in the first place. So, you're saying the dog was your sister? Well, that would be silly. But my mother thought it was. Thought that Jeannie come back to tell her the accident wasn't her fault. Let her off the hook. Cut to 2019. John Locke gets out of seeing a dog's purpose and says, well, that's inaccurate. (laughs) That's just not accurate. This is not this is not the biopic I've been told I'd be watching right now. Uh, a couple of things that that stand out to me in terms of like lost reverberations uh, to that that genie was coming back to tell her that the accident wasn't your fault and let her off the hook uh, off the hook. Let, I'm letting you off the hook. It's a it's a phrase that is commonly found throughout Lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll we'll see it a couple of episodes from now uh, as um, among Boone's final words uh, to Jack. Um, so there, there's that. And also, speaking of Jack and speaking of dogs, like, I, I love this idea of the dog that came to, like, give you comfort in your final time here on Earth. Right. Uh, very similar to what's going to happen to Jack later on on the show. Yeah. And I also love just outside of the, the canine of it all, just this idea of, you know, you can put faith in somebody that might not necessarily be logical, but that's OK as long as it brings you meaning. I mean, that's sort of going to be the the locus of a lot of what Locke believes in in terms of this island and its mysticism and what he feels his purpose is. And 
I think that's sort of what he's alluded to in his story. Like, oh, it'd be silly to actually believe that this is the reincarnated spirit of my broken neck sister, the bent neck girl, I suppose, as her ghost is infesting this house and has infested this dog. But all that matters is how much it meant to my foster mother, that it allowed her to find closure. And that's also just a really interesting way to look at the finale of Lost, too, where, you know, you might say there's all this crazy stuff that happened and maybe some of it was unresolved in terms of the bigger mysteries. But at the end of the day, it was a way for these people to find closure uh, in terms of the sideways universe of it all. So it's sort of weird, again, if you're talking about lost reverberations, how that really echoes in the final message of the show this many years later. Josh, do we think this story is legitimate or not? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, we know Locke like bounces around foster homes quite a bit. Um, I I see no reason to doubt it. Do you? The only thing is, I mean, we've seen him fabricate the story of the amputee Everest guy beforehand, and we don't know whether or not that was just due to a lack of internet databases like Wikipedia at the time, or if he was just fibbing. Uh, and we talked about the Michelangelo story as well, how that was embellished. I would not be surprised if this is Locke twisting a narrative picking something out of, you know, Sawyer being, uh, you know, fueled by vengeance. I'm sure he has his own experience given his own toward relationship with his father and him maybe coming up with this narrative to essentially, you know, give out this virtue of like, hey, I know what you're doing. You might not even know what you're doing, but I know what you're doing. And he gives a little bit of a Christian shepherd message, right? Of like, sometimes these things can give us closure no matter how silly they may be. It's interesting. Um, I, I don't think of Locke as a huge liar. Uh, like I think of him as a game player. I think of him as somebody who uh, who who prides himself on having uh, knowledge that's at least a mile wide, if not quite a mile deep, um, but further than an inch, you know. And but I think that sometimes he gets things wrong. But when it comes to like his own past, I think when he talks about where he comes from, sometimes he omits things. But I don't think that he tends to exaggerate too much. Um, then again, I mean, we see him in the office with Troyzan, you know, back in Sydney, and he's saying, like, I know more about this subject than you do, uh, and yet he doesn't have, like, the level of realism to, to like, understand the reality of the situation. Like, of course, he's not getting accepted on, on this thing, that he had misrepresented himself in that way. Um, so I can, I can see it. Um, I tend to believe him. Mm. I tend to believe him here. I just don't really see a big reason not to, personally. Yeah, I'm intrigued to hear from others. Uh, in the others next episode, what they think about this. Because I feel like this would be also uh, very contributing to just our general thoughts about Locke, especially at this point in time where, like, he's in this weird morally gray area between coming across as somewhat nefarious from the series Bible, but also somewhat of a good-hearted, driven guy in the stuff with the hatch. So I'm interested to see sort of, like, the Rorschach test of this dog story, how it leans for people. All right, uh, let's go from that story to another flashback. Uh, Sawyer is going to track down uh, Jeff Perry, a.k.a. Cyrus Bean, a.k.a. Frank Duckett, at the shrimp truck. Mackie's Sweet Shrimp Truck. Uh, and this is filmed North Shore of Oahu, the island where Lost is filmed. Uh, and the North Shore of Oahu has a ton of shrimp trucks. Uh, they are delightful. Shout out to Romy's is my favorite of the shrimp trucks. I believe this was filmed at Fumi's shrimp truck. And I'm pretty sure that if you go on a lost tour, if you uh if you if you book it through Cos Tours, 
uh, they will typically take you to either this shrimp truck or one of the shrimp trucks there. So you get to eat lunch Frank Duckett style. Oh, too bad you can't uh, meet the owner. He's unfortunately unavailable permanently. He's unavailable. Unavailable. Uh, Frank Duckett only offers shrimp and mild sauce, shrimp and hot sauce. I feel like he's got to diversify the brand a little. Well, yeah. The garlic shrimp, coconut shrimp. I, I, you got to open up the shrimp. I really do wonder this guy's brand. Well, first of all, maybe it's because he hasn't found that perfect partner in uh, in Ray Mullen in terms of just a way to reinvent his cuisine. But like, it seems like he's not driving the truck anywhere. It seems like this truck is just parked next to what seems like a weird like gas station in the middle of Australia. I, I can't imagine how many customers he's attracting. Australia is, you know, the smallest continent, but it's just there's a lot of very wide open space. Considering where it's outsetted, I feel like he'd do better trying to find like a more major metropolitan area to make good, right? Unless maybe this is another reason why Sawyer is, is, uh, feels like he's onto him as the OG Sawyer is that he purposely wants to be in hiding. Yeah, and I, look, he's doing well enough that he has a, a running special where it's half price for all Americans. Uh, so if he's able to have a special like that that's ongoing, he must be doing all right. Or he's not doing well at all and had to resort to that to get people in the door. Like, all the, like you go to the American console, like, oh, we got to hear about this shrimp truck. It has a half off for American special. Yeah. Uh, I and I'm I'm not like trying to say that like I'm bigger than eating like a a you know a full peel shrimp job like you got to eat the head and everything. Certainly the great Emily Fox would crush this shrimp, but I just I did feel a little weirded out. I didn't think the shrimp looked particularly appetizing. Yeah, I would not say I would want like the the pull and peel shrimp from a truck. You know, and, and no offense to Frank Doggett, I feel like you know it's enough. Uh, it's it's good. It's good North Shore. I'm telling you, in in Oahu, it's delicious. Right. I, in Oahu, would be I great. just don't think I don't know if in the I middle of Australia, trust, uh, I'm going for it. You know, I just don't trust Frank Duckett with the shrimp. I don't like I don't I don't like the way he's cooking this shrimp. It just doesn't <laughs> doesn't feel right to me. I mean, he's he's, he's one of like those down simple guys, like no hairnet needed. Just sort of squirts a bunch of sriracha in the background. I, I want to find out Frank's uh, special recipe so that, Josh, when you and I inevitably, when we inevitably do the, uh, the the Lost cookbook of all the food talked about on Lost, I think we're going to have to oh. include shrimp on there. Yeah, Frank's hot sauce is going to be included for sure. Uh, he says, I'm Frank, by the way. And this is where we get Sawyer uh, saying, I'm James. So now we've got a names for Sawyer. Uh, I... Uh, I James James is in the house. Again, I know I keep, you know, uh, going back to this, but Josh Holloway is so damn good in this scene. So good. I mean, this so is good. Such, a, so good. such a complicated moment for Sawyer, right? Because this is the thing that he has been pursuing for probably at least 20 years. And it's finally going to happen. And I can imagine there's just a lot of tempestuous stuff going on there between righteous fury, between ecstasy at this happening. But it looks like he's legitimately contemplating if he can do it. You know, like you see him fidgeting with the gun in his hand, you know, uh, Mr. Stash, uh, Australian Mario was correct before when he said that, like, <laughs> hey, he has the gun in his hand. It's going to find out who he truly is. And I think that's really reverberating in Sawyer's head. Either that or he's right. really just debating which of the two shrimps he wants. Yeah, it's like, I really can't tell. The sweet shrimp sounds good, but I'm more of a spicy guy. Yeah, and, but, but you see, like, his uh, hands are trembling. I think, like, tears are forming in his eyes. So and he ends up chickening out or shrimping out by the end of it. Though there is this really fun moment where... Duckett says, oh, yeah, miss those Southern women. You just see, like, him twitch a little bit, like the, the grip tighten on the gun a bit, because that's almost like, I mean, I could imagine a different type of story would have pulled the trigger right there and then. Uh, if he yeah, heard that. Right. that would have been enough of, like, a, a context clue for him to believe that this is the OG Sawyer. But he hasn't killed anyone yet. So, like, this is a big deal. And this is the guy. Uh, and so, like, he's having, like, some... I don't know. He's having, he's having lots of big feelings about this, Mike. And so he, he leaves... It's too hot in the kitchen, so he gets out and he goes to a bar 
uh, and he is going to cross paths with yet another familiar someone. You hear the voice at first, uh, and you know I, I remember in the moment being like, oh, "Whoa, whoa, 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 what's going yep. on? This is this is what's happening." Here? I know we talked about uh, another Sawyer on Australia moment. Sawyer in the police station while Boone is talking to the cop in Hearts and Minds, but I feel like this is even a bigger game changer and not these characters are not just crossing in front of each other coincidentally and granted christian is he's on the island in a manner of speaking but this is really one of the first times that we see direct connection happen and you know it's the importance of the scene is definitely underlined to uh to an extent where it makes it one of the best scenes in season one all right so let's get into it by the time we're going to pick up the scene because we're going to listen into a lot of it uh sawyer has already bought christian a drink and so we're going to pick up as christian shepherd and sawyer are about to have a deeper conversation and christian is going to lift his glass to mr ford to sawyer may find whatever he's looking for at the bottom of a glass so sawyer what brings you to sydney You know why they call Australia down under, don't you? Because it's as close as you can get to hell without being burned. How about you leave the bottles? Get your hand on back in the States. Say, chief of surgery was. Yeah, it was. So we're in hell, huh? Don't let the air conditioning fool you, son. You are here too. You are suffering. But don't beat yourself up about it. It's fate. Some people are just supposed to suffer. That's why the Red Sox will never win the damn series. They have a son. He's about your age. He's not like me. He does what's in his heart. He's a good man. Maybe a great one. that I hate him. He thinks I feel betrayed by him. But what I really feel is gratitude and pride because of what he did to me. What he did for me. It took more courage than I have. There's a payphone over here. I could pick it up and I could call my son. I could tell him about all this. I could tell him that I love him. One simple phone call and I could fix everything. Why don't you? Because I am weak. Well, 
this uh, this business that you have will it ease your suffering yeah then what are you doing here it ain't that simple of course it is unless you want to end up like me of course it is Ah, man, what do you even say? Right? Just call it. Call it here. I mean, just end the podcast. We, Josh, you know both of us. We have a lot to say on this. I, I am. I love seeing this Christian Shepherd. I love that they brought out this side of him because if we look at it chronologically in the life of Christian Shepherd, this is essentially like a deathbed proclamation. He's not going to die right here, right then, but he's definitely on the downside. I think chronologically speaking, this is right after he and Anna Lucia get in an argument where, you know, he's trying to sort of make good with uh, Claire and Carol Littleton, and he sort of gets rebuffed by Carol's sister, and he tries to confide in Anna Lucia, but she rebuffs him. And so he really is at rock bottom. And the only stuff we'd seen of Christian Shepard before was him being a hard-ass dad to Jack when he was a kid, him being dead, and him quite possibly killing a person on the operating table by being drunk. And to see the vulnerability from this character really colors him in such an interesting light. Especially since we're going to see more Christian Shepard. There's going to be plenty of Jack flashbacks to follow. But even if we didn't, just seeing this new element to this character, the fact that he does feel remorseful and that he does feel loving to his son, even though he would never tell him just because of his own pride slash weakness, it's infinitely complicated and just delicious to chew on. It's great. It's great. It's so sad. It's so sad. I mean, because this is a guy who's probably hours away from death at this point. Yeah. You know, it's almost over for this guy. And this is what's on his mind in those final final minutes. Not for nothing, too. Uh, Sawyer helps guide Jack's father to the end of the line, right? Like, he buys him the bottle. Uh, you know, he's doing this, like, kind of, like, out of the kindness of his heart for a fellow traveler. But that probably didn't help. Well, it's, it's interesting uh, in that I think these two genuinely have good intentions for each other, but they guide right. each other down weird, bad paths. Because Christian totally, saying, totally. hey, take care of your business is going to lead Sawyer to kill Frank Duckett, which we'll get into. Yeah. What, I, yeah. what I love about this is as well is that... That's so sad. It really <laughs> is. And so you think they're helping each other. And ordinarily, yeah, this would be like a, hey, take care of your business. You know, go go tell the girl that you love her. Go say that you want that promotion and, and you'll quit if you don't get it. Uh, but here it's go gun the guy down while he's cleaning up from his shrimp truck. This is so... You know, if we're talking about cowboys and daddy issues to the point where I believe one of the first things that Christian says to Sawyer is he calls him cowboy, which is a great reference to that episode. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. you know, this is the fatherly advice that Sawyer was never able to get. And to have it, ironically enough, come from the father of another character who has his own torrid history is such an interesting connective tissue. And some more connective tissue is that both Christian Shepard and Anthony Cooper, in his own last minutes of life in the brig, they both ascribe this meaning of hell and purgatory to the places that they're currently in. Uh, you know, yes. I'm watching Jim Fell's video about this. There's a lot of comparisons between the motif that goes on through this episode musically and the stuff in the brig. There's obviously like the OG Sawyer theme. And there's just so many other similarities as well in terms of how Sawyer encounters these old men who happen to have sired children who he's worked with in some capacity and their belief that. We're, I'm being punished for something, and therefore, so must you. 
Yeah, uh, I, I I caught notice of that as well. That idea of uh, a little hot for heaven, right? Like you know, like both both sort of like mirroring, you know, Christian mirroring what uh what Anthony Cooper is going to say later on down the line. And these two dads of these two characters that mean a whole lot to Sawyer that he gets to have these interactions with, uh, and you know, two different conversations about hell basically and what it means to like live in hell. Uh, really compelling stuff. What really really compelling in terms of sliding doors. How do you think things change if Christian does get the courage to call Jack on that payphone? I don't know. I think, like, maybe Jack can hear that his father is drunk and he says, like, go back to your room. I'm coming to Sydney. I'll come get you. Maybe they're able, maybe Christian winds up on the island in that case. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to I say. I think from Jack's arc perspective, it would have been really interesting because. That's the thing that Sawyer has this information, and it's not until Exodus Part 1. In another incredible scene, does, yes. does he get the closure that he so sorely needs from his father? If he got so sorely yeah, needs. Yes, exactly. If, if Jack got it in this moment, though, if Christian calls him and tells him all that he just told Sawyer, I wonder how Jack approaches the position of leadership, approaches the apparition of his father on the island. Right. I feel like that demonstrably changes the Jack that we know of from the past 15 episodes. Yeah, but and you know it's funny because when Sawyer is going to tell Jack later on everything that he knows about Christian and Christian's like standing in his final hours on Earth, um, he's going to like tell him the story close to verbatim. Yeah, you know he, he does a really good job of representing this moment, uh, which is really really powerful. But even knowing all of that doesn't really fix Jack because I think there's just a certain amount of closure that even hearing all of that. You just don't get if you don't get it from the source. And even if you're getting it from the source, I think it's still going to be very, very, yeah, very different. to the point where I don't think Jack truly gets closure until he's standing with his father in that Yeah, church. until he's dead. Yeah, until he's dead. Yeah. You know, and I think that that is unfortunately a bit of a metaphor for, for, for life, uh, where we often just never do get that closure. And, like, the best you can do is just incorporate it and live with it and, and make it a part of you. Or just pretend uh, that your dad is a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that works too that works as well uh the flashback continues a little bit sawyer's gonna go to the shrimp truck uh yeah, I, we'll I will say that. again all this is incredible but there's some weird act break going on like if i were planning not a, as not as odd as homecoming not as odd as homecoming, uh, but it's a weird streak right because you would think the act ends with that scene but no it cuts to sawyer in the car in the rain and then we cut to it i know they're trying to create a climactic moment but i feel like it would have been, been more of a per- perfect button to end with you know so what are you doing here and then cut to commercial yeah Maybe uh, the tension is like Sawyer realized that he left the hot shrimp <laughs> and he needs to go back. He's hungry. Son of a like, bitch. Oh, man, all that drinking. Yeah, I forgot the hot shrimp. Um, on the island, uh, Saeed's going to come to Charlie. Uh, and this is this is the great conversation between the two of them where Saeed's basically extending his hand and being like, you don't have to be alone with this. You killed a man. Uh, even if he deserved it, even if he was a bad person, that doesn't mean you didn't kill a man. That's heavy, dude. It's heavy stuff. And Saeed relates this story about how when he was in Tikrit, uh, he lived next to a cop um, and a car bomb killed the police officer and his three children. I think maybe it was the police officer's wife and his three children. Yeah, it was the the police officer's wife and the police officer wanted revenge. And so they found the guy and Saeed uh, was chosen to execute him. And you would think on paper he's on the firing. Yeah, you think, okay, he's a bad man. So he would not be haunted by it. But he indeed was, which is interesting considering that young Saeed was killing chickens without batting an eyelash. But uh, this seemed to really haunt him. 
Well, he probably thought about the chicken, too. I don't know if the chicken kept him up for quite as many nights as the as the firing squad. Uh, but he says, like, I, you know, I woke up at night replaying what I did in my head. Here's frickin' Charlie. It's like, oh, it sounds like you're the one who needs checking up on. Like, Charlie, come on, man. I, I excuse the fact trying that he's, to help you out. he's in a bad place. Uh, and I will also say, very anecdote-heavy episode between this one, Locks. Like, I think the character's like, all right, we're going to monologue for a bit. Now you're going to finally get to know me. We're sharing. Sharing is caring. And this is... It's so interesting because I this is yet another it's actually pretty comparable to uh, whatever the case may be in that here is another incident where Charlie is recovering from some sort of trauma and he finds solace in an unlikely source. But I feel like for one of the first times ever in this season, the A plot and the B plot have so much connective tissue in that Charlie sort of taken on a Sawyer approach to self-flagellation. And I think, you know, when we get to Saeed's really key advice of you're not alone don't pretend to be it carries so much weight because it could be connected to charlie's faith that he dotes on with rose a few episodes back it could be you know hey i've done the same thing as well you can confide in me it obviously refers to claire as well but charlie it seems like from what Said is alluding to is that he is purposely ostracizing himself because he feels guilty about what he did even if he was a quote-unquote bad person he took someone's life and that is heavy and Sawyer yeah. is someone similar who, due to the Duckett stuff, or just due to the trauma that he's experienced, has purposely pushed himself away from to the point where he said, like, hey, yeah, torture me. I deserve to be tortured in confidence, man, even though I don't have the inhalers. It's similarly self-destructive behavior from both of them, and Saeed's words applied to them both. Of, no, you know, you might not have gone through the same situation that then we have, but you can find people. You have so many people around you. You feel like you're drowning, but we're all standing there with a hand to reach out. Just grab it and get pulled out of that water, because otherwise you're going to sink to the bottom. 100%. Uh, back on the island. Oh, and that, I, I see what you did there about Charlie sinking to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. It's not cool. Oh, I will say cool. it also says, what happened with Ethan will be with you for the rest of your life. I'm like, oh, it's not going to be a long time. Like, so. Oh, so like, you got up pretty like easy comparatively. <laughs> He's got a couple more months to live with this. Uh, and then he's going to be all right. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got Kate and Sawyer back on the island, and they show up to like the boar's bedroom. It's like ah, it's the boar's room. And here's where the boar sleeps. This is the boar's wallow. Yeah, I, and they also talk about uh, Sawyer wants to just completely demolish the island and turn it into a mini mall. Which I would say, like, I feel I, love I feel like Charles Widmore did get control of the island. Like, it would not be out of the question to build the island mall, right? I still think that it would be really fun if the island turned into like a theme park under Hurley and Hurley just thought it was a great idea. And he's like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Well, then, like, I, I mean, would, would Sawyer shop be like dispensers gifts, Sawyer's gifts of them all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Sawbucks. Uh, that's a place that you could go to. Sawbucks Toy Store. Uh, but he shows up. He wants to turn the place into an auto mall. Uh, he hears something. He sees some rustling. He finds a baby piggy. Uh, and he starts screaming, hey, Piggy, 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 Piggy. And he starts calling for, for Miss Piggy, for the mama. Um, and Kate is really disgusted by the whole thing. And she eventually kicks Sawyer in the leg and gets the, the Piggy to leave. So if we're, if we're counting injuries of Kate against Sawyer, we have two headbutts and one dastardly kick to the shin. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, I was a big shin kicker. So I appreciated the move. <laughs> so it's just, you just, that was like your go-to if you ever felt intimidated. I was, yes. Yes, I was a shin. That was your like, that's my purse. I don't know you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if I if I ever felt like uh, I was being like intellectually bested by somebody and I needed to really show them the what for, it'd be a swift kick to the shin. That'd be how I'd end most of my arguments as a child. Uh, so Kate kicking Sawyer in the shin. Uh, once again, my people here in Kate Austin. 
She says, you're sick. Find your own way home. Uh, Emily was watching this over my shoulder as I was watching this episode. She was like, yeah, Sawyer is sick. That was gross. That was terrible. Yeah, well, um, it is interesting because if you compare this to the end of Confidence Man, and again, maybe it's just the, the distinction between animals and humans from Sawyer's perspective of, you know, he, again, turned away a lot of money because he didn't want to endanger a kid and screw him up. And I think if this pig was a kid, he might have treated it a different way than grabbing yeah. the kid being like, here, daddy, 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 daddy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's get to the final flashback of the episode. Let's go back to Frank Duckett's shrimp truck it uh, and close the loop on everything going on there. I got a letter for you. Dear Mr. Sawyer. Who? You used to go by the name of Sawyer. What the hell are you talking about? You didn't have to tell Hibbs I wanted to pay. How do you know Hibbs? You don't. You don't know what you do, do you? You borrow money from Hibbs? I was going to pay. Come back around. That's when the, that's bo- that's when the boomerang hits Sawyer in the head. <laughs> yeah, knocks him right out. Uh, so uh, poor Fra- Sawyer, you did you did him dirty. I love this though because Sawyer's desire for revenge. We spoke about this with Kate, and whatever the case may be, right? About how she does some foolish things because she puts the blinders up due to the the emotions that she's putting into what should normally be a very logical situation. And Sawyer's problem here is that he left before he looked. If he had Frank Duckett turn around and tells the entire story, even reads the letter, Frank Duckett would probably still be alive, flipping that shrimp, probably. saying, hey, yeah. no, 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 no. You know, I mean, I don't know if Sawyer would have believed him, but he would have been able to give the entire story. But instead, Sawyer said, nope, I'm going to shoot right now. Who knows if alcohol inhibited this situation or not? But he said, I'm going to shoot first and ask questions later, and then he'll find out that the questions uh, may have prevented the shooting to begin with. Yeah. Oh, man. And so now he has he's killed... And he killed the wrong guy. Killed a guy for really no reason. Uh, that's going to mess you up. Yeah. Something fierce. Yeah. Do you think that the it'll come back around? Do you think that was meant for Sawyer? Or do you think that was a spare comment about Frank Duckett for Hibbs that Sawyer happened to catch? Uh, or maybe it was like his clue that like, if you ate my shrimp, you're in trouble. Like, <laughs> Yeah. We got uh, Frank Duckett's revenge going on. <laughs> Yeah. He'll get the last one. Yeah, it's bad. It's not going to be good. You're going to go into anaphylactic shock pretty soon here. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's like it'll come back around of like uh, if if it's you're going to pay or Hibbs is going to pay. If it's Hibbs who pays, we certainly never see it. If it's Sawyer who pays, 
Sawyer certainly gets put through his paces on this show. Mm. Uh, you know, he's gonna he's gonna inflict some bad feeling on a bunch of peeps over over the course of the show, but you know, he's gonna fall in love, he's gonna get ready to get married, and then she's gonna get ripped right out of his arms, and he's gonna have to watch the love of his life die in his arms. You know, a lot of really bad stuff is still gonna happen to Sawyer before Sawyer's ever able to really climb out of this hole. Um and it's interesting because like bad things happened to him that pushed him onto a path where he did bad things to other exactly. people. Exactly, it's self-perpetuating. It's like a it's a it's like a ladder. It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> well, it really is though. I mean, it's the fact that, you know, he feels like he's working for uh, it's a very anti-hero stance, right? Like I need to do bad things for the greater good, but he doesn't realize that the bad things are still bad things. And I do feel like we'll get into the the end of Sawyer's arc here. I wouldn't say he's necessarily absolved of karma, but I, I would love this irony if it really was a spare comment that Duckett made about Hibbs of like, hey, I owed him money, but he'll get something coming to him. But Sawyer, much like he interpreted things the wrong way with Frank Duckett in the first place, becomes another weird accessory there. He becomes the conduit between him and Hibbs, the point where he takes it personally. And again, if we're talking about this character that loves to punish himself, he would take a comment on the sly from a guy he just killed and decide to take it personally of, oh, this means right. that I'm being punished for it. Right, right. Um, all right, well, back on the island, Sawyer's going to come face to face with Miss Piggy, and they're going to have a big stare down, and Sawyer's got the gun drawn, and Kate's watching from the distance, and everyone's just kind of like, uh, what are we going to do? No one really knows exactly what to do. Boar's like, I shouldn't move, because then I'll get shot. And Kate's like, I really hope he doesn't shoot the pig. And Sawyer eventually is like, yeah, I, I can't shoot the freaking pig. It's just a boar. Yeah, and I think that's sort of his moment of saying, yeah, this is not just a bore for me. And I think him saying it as being like, I'm putting way too much meaning behind this. What is this going to help me with? It's to what we just talked about. Like, if he continues to do bad things, if he takes more lives, whether they be animal or human, that's not going to fix the things he's done in the past. It's better to just soldier forward and prove that you're a better person through these actions. And I actually really do feel like, if we're talking about the arc of Sawyer, this is when we start getting a turn into you know, Sawyer participating in the raft project to where we get into Exodus, where Sawyer takes a bullet for the other castaways trying to save Walt. So if we're talking about the arc of Sawyer overall, I know we're a long way to get to the LaFleur of it all, but I feel like this is a significant step where Sawyer's pushing him further. Yeah, where Sawyer says, I I don't need to be a bad person. I was a bad person because I was making myself feel like I had to be, and I don't need to be. This is my own tabula rasa. This is my own opportunity to show that I can not play the role that I've been destined to play. I'm, I'm going to make my own role here. Uh, back on the beach, Claire is watching as Jin and Son are together, and Vincent's back. He's playing fetch with Walt while Michael is working on the aforementioned raft. Uh, oh, I suppose it's not the aforementioned raft, because this is raft 1.0. This is, this is a raft beta. Yeah, Roft Beta. Beta Roft is about to go up in smoke. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, and here comes Charlie, and I guess Saeed's talk has has taken root as Charlie decides uh, it's now time to, to go on that walk. So he and Claire are going to go for a little stroll on the beach. I love how simple and wordless this is. And it, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it's a very simple storyline. Again, we sort of got a bit of a an original version of it several weeks back with, you know, Charlie feels trauma from being hung by Ethan and feels guilt, and Rose sort of helps him find faith in above. Here, this is more so Charlie finding faith in the person across from him that's been there the entire time. And it, yeah, it's super simple. It's him coming up to her and being like, hey, do you want to take that walk now? And even them walking, we don't hear what they say, 
but we don't need to. You can see between last episode and this episode how that fire is slowly starting to rekindle. Ethan came up with a big bucket of water and tried to down it, but th there were some embers still happening there, and that fire is slowly growing once more. Those sparks are not going to die so easily. Certainly not as easily as Ethan. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Jack is helping because he's cutting up some nice wood for them, too. He's cutting up some wood, and Sawyer's going to come up and cut up some jokes. Uh, they're not especially funny, to be honest. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to close out the episode with a scene between Sawyer and Jack that pays off uh, a scene from earlier in this episode and sets up an even better scene a few episodes from now. Let's take him out. Trying to be funny? Yeah. I was fresh out of pies to throw at you. Yo, Sheriff. I asked you for this two days ago, and I told you to stick it. <laughs> but I made a deal with your girlfriend. What did she give you? Kate, what did she give you? Nothing she wasn't willing to part with. That's why the Sox will never win the series. What's that? Huh? What did you just say? I said that's why the Red Sox will never win the series. What the hell is that supposed to mean? It's just something my father used to say. I could go through life knowing that people hated him. Instead of taking responsibility for it, he just put it on fate. Said he was made that way. Your daddy. He a doctor too? Was. He's dead. Why do you want to know about my father? he wants to be his friend but he can't bring himself to do it and so like i think like when you're trying to chart like what's character growth for sawyer in this episode like that's the best you can hope for yeah like he gets right up to the line well it's like that moment when he's with saeed and he's like almost gonna ask him about the whispers but he's like ah forget yeah. it. uh when he's like right there with kate and he's gonna he's gonna say like uh it says it's just a bore instead of saying what's really on his mind in this moment he's sad for jack he's sad that this guy is gone but he can't express that yet but he's closer than he's probably ever been in his life when you when you evaluate sawyer as a guy who was so severely damaged by the dark thing you see at the start of this episode that he's just never been able to love anything i've never been in love like that's not just even like romantic love that's like in love you know, with like a dog yeah he's never been in love with a thing you know like he's had like superficial relationships with everything in his life also by the way i'm sure Clementine would be very sad to hear uh, uh, Clem I mean, Clementine and Cassidy. Yeah, I was saying, we'll, we'll find out about it. I mean, it was all part of a con, so maybe he feels like his emotions are complicated. In it. But I mean, it feels realistic, right. though, right? It would feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde 
sure to suddenly be like nice guy like hey you're all the secrets i know exactly dr jack and mr Locke. uh but i i think that this feels like baby steps in that he is you know he's trying to warm himself up a bit to jack which i want to speak about in a second but at the same time he's still sawyer he still is joking with jack by threatening to shoot him <laughs> and you know uh trying to to fib him a little bit almost trying to big dog Jack to be like, hey, you know, you might think you're the lead around here, but, you know, I'm the one that's still going hunting with your girlfriend, which I want to speak about because there's a deleted scene from this episode called A Deal's a Deal, where after everything with the boar, in this deleted scene, Kate would have tried to cash in on her carte blanche, basically saying, okay, my favor is that you have to give the gun back to Jack. And this complicates the Kate-Sawyer relationship because it makes Sawyer realize, like, oh, you might have really just been out there not because you have a legitimate connection with me, but just because you wanted something to get back to Jack. If this was included in the episode, do you like this better? Does this ch- no. does this change the way that Sawyer no. approaches Jack? Because then it's it's more of an obligation than it is a choice. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. I think it's better this way. I think it's better that like he goes off on that mission, and probably at some point on the mission, Kate's like, could you bring the gun back to Jack, by the way? Everyone's like a little nervous about you having the gun. We just want all the guns in the same place. And so I was like, ah, I'm not going to do that, Freckles. And then he goes through all the things that he goes through. And then he's just like, takes it upon himself. Like, yeah, maybe I should just go bring the gun. Yeah, I, I like it when it puts the choice in his hands, much like the gun. I totally agree. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it would give more power to Kate in that she's the one that finagles this deal and sort of cons the con man to giving the gun back. But considering how much, especially this last, you know, standoff with the boar was a choice that Sawyer made and you rob him of that choice, it just feels... It would not feel like a great place to leave the character after such a beautiful episode for him. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, we've got a lot of feedback to get through. Lots more to talk about here still with Outlaws. Before we get into all of that feedback, once again, a reminder that this episode of Down the Hatch on Poster Recaps is brought to you by DC Universe, the ultimate DC membership for us DC fans who want to watch DC movies and shows, read our favorite DC comics, shop exclusive merchandise, and connect with other fans. DC Universe is home to original series like Titans, Doom Patrol, Young Justice, Outsiders, and starting November 29th, today, as you are listening to this podcast or beyond, potentially even, Harley Quinn, uh, an adult animated series that follows Harley as she breaks things off with the Joker, Mr. J. Uh, will she be the newly liberated Queenpin of Gotham City? Catch new episodes on Fridays. If you love comic books, DC Universe, it's the place for you, Mike Bloom. You can get access to over 20,000 digital comics all at your fingertips includes classic titles like the dark knight returns crisis on infinite earths kingdom come and all-star superman as well as today's hottest books and that's just the tip of the iceberg you can watch new animated films like batman hush and reign of the superman enjoy classic animated series like remastered in hd like aquaman and batman beyond you can binge fan favorite dc series like constantine and birds of prey and you can watch classic dc movies like batman batman returns and superman DC Universe is available on all of your favorite devices. And with this special 14-day free trial promo code, now is the time to experience that ultimate DC membership. Go to www.dcuniverse.com slash podcast one and use promo code POSTSHOW to start your free trial. That's www.dcuniverse.com slash podcast O-N-E. Use promo code POSTSHOW to start your 14-day free trial the code is valid through december 31st 2019 so get cracking folks a reminder that this episode of post show recaps is sponsored by warner brothers digital networks the operator of dc universe dc universe only available 
in the U.S. Let's dig into the others, Mike. Yes, Let's start I got my as shovel. It's do. made off of a foot yes. measurer. I'm ready to dig into it. Yes, let's start digging. Uh, let's look back before we look at Outlaws. Let's go back to Homecoming really quickly. Uh, you talked about some alternate history here. Let's do that uh, with Homecoming. Uh, we had a question from Stefan Johnson who wanted to know, what if Ethan hadn't been killed? Talk about the alternate history in which Ethan hadn't been killed. Would Saeed have broken him? Would Saeed have even tortured him? Would Ben have sent a crew to get him back? He was the only surgeon, and Ben has a tumor at this point. That's it is a tumor. Uh, would Jack have let Saeed torture him? Would Claire have been involved somehow? What would have happened? Maybe it could have been something where, you know, I could imagine Saeed if not torturing him, at least interrogating him a bit, but maybe it could be a situation where Charlie or Claire, like, sneaks into camp and, like, slits his throat in the middle of the night. Sort of like a wow. different take on Sawyer trying to kill the marshal on his own terms. From the Ben side of things, uh, I think Stefan correctly points out the importance of Ethan. I know that Juliet is there as another medical consulate, but Ethan's importance, you know, was was good. could not be o- overstated. So I can imagine, though, that he'd probably get Tom Friendly and the gang in those janky getups with the fake beards and the spirit gum and have the boat just land on the beach and have them, I don't know, either take Ethan or kidnap some people to try to, to bargain for a trade. Craig Falkenham. Yes, you, Craig Falkenham, had also written in uh, and said, I think if they didn't have the guns and they had two to three more days gone by and two to three more deaths, you'd see the nameless members of the group start saying things like, let's have a vote on giving Claire back to Ethan so we could stop these daily murders. Uh, Do you think that that's possible, Mike, that after a certain point in time, they would be like, just give them Claire. We don't want to keep dying for Claire. I mean, we do have this case to your point about like the silent majority of these losties, right? There's like 46 of them at this point, and there's only 16 main characters. So they are greatly outnumbered. They could theoretically overpower them, but I guess the question is, is this a democracy? And, you know, considering that Jack and these characters do have access to the weapons, they're the ones that hold a bit of the power here. Uh, they, They would, you know, if any coup gets staged to try to get rid of Claire, I think that Jack and the others, not the others, but the other people would have something to say about it. Yeah. Um, other number two coming our way from the Ben behind the curtain, uh, asks us, what are the chances that Lucy Heatherton and Penny Widmore were friends? Feels like they'd move in the same circles. Uh, yeah. Is there a, is there a world where like Desmond and Penny off Island are going to go to a dinner party and Lucy is there? I guess the question is, would Charles Widmore let his daughter consort with Lucy? You know, like is Lucy's dad high enough status for Widmore to be like, yes, you can hang out with my daughter. Considering well, the, the, the state even, he showed Desmond, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like the even bigger deal, though, would be uh, if Charlie was the most impressive person that the Heathertons had at their dinner table, Penny would certainly show up Charlie in the impressive department. She's Charles Widmore's daughter. Yeah, I guess that's very true. Um, very big deal. I don't know. She's also just a badass on her own. I also feel like... Uh, if Lucy and Penny were having any sleepovers, she would not want to after that occasion with the flask because she knows that how many things are liable to get stolen the more people she has over. No more sleepovers. I think sleepovers are over in the Heatherton household. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, visitors only. No home. No home visits. Visitors. 
Visitors only. All right, some trivia of the week as we are moving towards Outlaws. Once again, of course, compiled by the Ben behind the curtain. Uh, other number three, some Sydney continuity for you, Mike. Uh, Lost really likes to incorporate Sydney's only two famous landmarks, the Opera House and the Harbor Bridge. Those are Ben's words, not mine. I don't know if those are the only two famous. Yeah, landmarks. these are. This is like our uh, pseudo Australian expert, considering he lives right next to the place itself. But I trust Ben. I trust Ben. I trust Ben uh, to set the scene. This leads to some odd situations where scenes happen at the same place. This week when Sawyer went to get a gun down at the docks, he was in the exact same place relative to the opera house that Boone was when he had sex with Shannon. So that encounter probably smelled of garlic and fish. Gross. Yeah, maybe Shannon Uh, walked in from a trollop with that uh, mustachio knit sweater guy and decided to have a little bit of dessert with Boone. Maybe before Shannon showed up to Boone's, she had... uh, obviously got sauced but maybe she got hot sauce on frank duckett's shrimp truck it uh before she showed up to boone <laughs> oh i house. just love this idea of boone just taking in a mouthful of oceanic life before getting on oceanic 815 with his stepsister do you think it's possible that everybody crashed on oceanic 815 because they all ate frank duckett's shrip truck Ooh, it before may- they, they got on the flight they got into, and they, they, clogged they all the clogged bathroom. the bathroom exactly yeah, they had to eject yeah. everything at once and that offset the weight of the plane and then that caused the engine to misfire some of the on uh, some of the remnants flew into the engine itself. I think Desmond can start feeling a little better about his alleged role in crashing. Yeah, the plane. Frank Duncan in the after of life's like crash your plane, <laughs> brother. Yeah, we cracked the code. Uh, other number four. Uh, this is about the the Red Sox uh, recurring line in the timeline of the show. The events of Outlaw occurred on October twenty first and twenty second of two thousand four. The Boston Red Sox won the two thousand four World Series in four games from October twenty third to twenty seventh, meaning they proved Jack wrong. Within a week. Uh, again, as I was watching this episode with Emily Fox, who hails from the Boston area, uh, when that line about the Red Sox came up, uh, Emily was like, take that, shepherds, because uh, you know, her her lost know-how uh, is, is not necessarily vast, even though she has seen every episode and she loves the show, uh, but she... She'll never turn down the opportunity to to show her Red Sox loyalty. I mean, to be fair, though, isn't it like, yeah, go Shepherds? Because it seems like they are self-hating Red Sox fans. Like they're not. No, I think they're Yankees fans. No, I thought I thought that they came from Boston. So they'd be Red Sox fans. Is that right? Yeah. I always thought that they were uh, they were Yankees. fans, No, especially because because Damon Lindelof is a Yankees fan. Uh, and he transposes so much of himself onto 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 Jack that I figured that it was like them being like the sneering Yankees fans. We're like, that's why the Red Sox will never win. No, I'd say. Uh, and trust me, as a New Yorker, I know many of those Yankees. I would fans. say more so think of like the way the Grand Poobah of this podcast, Rob Susser, you know, thinks about the Jets. You know, like I support the Jets, but I know, or even the Mets, or even the Mets. Like I know, I love yeah. my teams, but in all reality, I know they they never stand a chance of doing anything good. I think it's more so that they're sort of like self-effacing fans. And that's why I think Jack's comment makes a lot more sense about his dad, right? It's this idea of like, hey, nothing can go right for me, but it's not because of who I am. It's because that I, you know, I just happen to root for a team that's unlucky. And that's not my fault. That's fate's fault. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I'd love to get people weighing in on this. Is Jack Shepard a Red Sox fan or is he a Yankees fan? Uh, it would certainly help explain the crazy beard in the flash forward yeah exactly it's definitely more red Sox than than the clean cut pinstripe yank all the all the biggest poppies have daddy issues <laughs> all the best poppies <laughs> that's great uh all right other number five series bible story of the week this was from the series bible this oh, is Lord. an abandoned storyline that never made it on to lost 
Uh, Saeed salvages a package from the debris field that could change the lives of the survivors, a fully functional inflatable escape raft from one of the plane's exit rows. While some argue that the plane would be an invaluable addition to the survivors' camp as waterproofing or a device to collect water, Saeed announces his intention to get off the island, hoping to drip in, drift into a shipping lane and initiate <laughs> a rescue. I love that with Saeed... Properly said that Michael can't do two episodes ago. Saeed apparently does do in this storyline. Yeah, that's what he wants to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would have been fine. I think that the raft storyline's better. I feel so. like a lot of these aborted storylines are things along the lines of like, they have to make a decision. Like, essentially, the show at, at initial stages was like people making hard decisions. So I'm glad they right. built up hard a bit calls. from like those uh, two roads diverged and a yellow wood of it all. Uh, all right, let's get into Outlaws more specifically. This is from Lindy Steiner with other number six, who's uh, picking up on something you were putting down. Uh, I love how Kate and Sawyer know exactly what to say to each other to get under the other's skin. They're out in the dark by a fire, both relating to each other and keeping the other person on their toes. Yeah, Mike, you talk about how like you love the friendship between these characters, but like the other side of that coin, uh, like when you have like a really close friend. There's almost, like, nobody who can annoy you more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, somebody who knows you really, really well knows your pressure points. Uh, and you definitely get that here between Sawyer and Kate. There's also this idea of sort of mutually assured destruction between them as well, speaking of the jughead of it all, where they sort of know each other's secrets, or they at least have read each other as the type of people where it's like, well, you're going to have to do what I want to do or else I'm going to reveal your secret to everybody else. And in sort of like this also begrudging respect for one another that they're, that they're able to hold each other to those standards. It's a weird, complicated relationship that's already built out over the course of 16 episodes. And it's going to get much more complicated, especially once we get into some polar bear cages. Uh, we were asked for other number seven if we could play uh, I Never. Mike. Uh, I will uh, say also, I, I didn't talk about this during the I Never scene, but uh, 16-year-old Mike Bloom learned what I Never was from Lost. So thank you, Lost. Ah, nice. Nice. You never knew what I Never was until you watched Lost. Um, all right. Uh, so we would drink if we did any of this stuff. I never went to college. Drink. Keep your... Well, we've we've been to college, so we don't drink. Oh, wait. You're no, Mr. no. You're Mr. Muellenberg. No, you do drink if you did do you, it. You, you drink if you did it. Okay, so we drink, so we're both getting... All right, this is going to be bad, because I've done most of these things. Uh, we both went to college. You're Mr. Muhlenberg. I'm Mr. Syracuse. Uh, I've never been to Disneyland. Drink. I've been to Disney World, so I guess uh, by technical... Maybe I'll take a sip, yeah. but I won't take the No, no, I think... You, you, save your, save yeah, your calories. I've not, I've not visited the original part of uh, Walt's inspiration in life, Walt Disney. I never wore pink, obviously. Oh, obviously. Um, pink's a fantastic color, especially for it was, yeah. fair, alabaster-hued individuals like the two of us. Pink is a nice way to bring out those tones. It wasn't even the 80s, although I'm sure I wore pink in the 80s. It was like, I don't know, it was the 80s outside, and I was wearing <laughs> a pink t-shirt. Uh, I never voted Democrat. Drink, I'm drinking. It did. Drinking. I, obviously, this is a conversation for a different type of Lost podcast, but slowly bringing that up did make me legitimately wonder if... Oceanic 815 landed in LA successfully. Who these characters would have voted for in the 2004 uh, election? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, Sawyer was going Bush. Sawyer's sure. going Bush. I think Boone's going Carry, and I think Locke is going Independent. But that, those are the only ones I mapped out at this point. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. I think that's good. Kate's voting for nobody. Kate should be condemned. Well, Kate is uh, like the voter fraud example that everyone's fearing, right? She's got so many identities. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, my God. I never blamed a bore for all my problems. All my problems, no. Some problems, yeah. Yes, I say I a good 35% of problems I blamed on the bore. I blamed on a bore before. Uh, if I've eaten bad pig, uh, that's happened before. Uh, I never decided to go down the hatch because I just wanted to spend time with the only other podcast in the RHAP universe who just doesn't. Ooh, belong. that hits close to the heart. Look, I have yeah, been recently. Right. I've been recently declared a pariah, so I guess that, yes, I've heard. I guess that I've is heard. my label. So I, I have to. I have to. You know, say I. I, I have to drink to this one, right? Yeah, and I am uh, like a self-modeled pariah now, right? Like I'm a self-imposed, uh, self-imposed, uh, self, self-imposed exile. Yeah, exactly. Again, uh, taking so. that monastic approach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god, uh, I never ranked every episode of Lost three separate times. Yeah, I got. Oh yeah, that's you're culpable of that one. Blood's on your hands in that one. Uh, I never killed a man. Um, I, do I have to drink if that means like I killed the word man by tracking how many times Judd Sargent from Survivor Guatemala used the word man in the season of Survivor Guatemala? Or like, does kill in the sense mean like, if I like dragged someone, you know how they say like, uh-huh. oh, like you, he <laughs> yeah. ended someone like uh, I've dragged yeah. people certainly. So maybe from that uh, perspective, like killed the reputation. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, all right. Other number eight. Uh, let's talk about Sawyer and Christian. Uh, Stefan Johnson asks, this may be controversial, but I think that Christian actually gives Sawyer good advice. He doesn't know that the business Sawyer is in Sydney to do is murder. The advice about ending his suffering and moving on with his life is better than any advice he ever gave Jack. He spent his entire life telling Jack that Jack's too weak to be as good as him. Here he admits to Sawyer that he is the weak one. He He then tells Sawyer to do what he can't. Unfortunately, the one time he gives good advice, Sawyer actually listens. I mean... Yeah, we talked about that before, about how I think that 95% of situations, someone would take that as a, as a positive affirmation of what they should do. I don't think Christian Shepard realized that Sawyer was there to kill somebody. Yes, he did believe that he was in hell with air conditioning, but I don't know if he was going that far to make that read of Sawyer. So I do like Christian's advice. I also feel like Christian is desperate to reach out to somebody and have somebody listen. You know, Carol Littleton slammed the door in his face Anna Lucia, he makes this confession to her, and she says, I don't want to deal with you anymore, you and your fake names. And so he turns to somebody who has his own fake name, who's actually able to listen to him at the bottom of a glass. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think it's just like, I don't know. He didn't know that he was going to kill a guy. You can't blame Christian Shepard for everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is a rare bright spot for Christian Shepard in a dark, dank bar. Let's, let's leave him with that. Let's leave him there. All right. Other number nine from John Krause. Uh, We all know Sawyer becomes a hero over the course of the show, but he very much starts out as a villain. He's truly the villain for the first eight or so episodes. At what point in the series do you think he officially breaks good? Also, at what point on your first watch did he go from a character you love love to hate to just a character you love? I don't think that I just love Sawyer at this point in the show yet. If I'm thinking about like first watch, mm. I think I still, I, but I don't think that I love to hate him. I think that I, it, it registers that he's a complex guy, sweetheart yeah. at this point. I agree. You know? I think that there's parts that frustrate me. Certainly the end of the episode, makes you be like, no, just tell him Jack needs to know. But at the same time, if you're actually talking about the character's relatability, it's certainly there warts and all. Uh, I'll go back to what I said before in terms of John's actual question of like, you know, at what point does he break good? 
I really do feel like when he takes that bullet in the shoulder, that's, if not the outright moment of breaking good, a step in the definite direction. Because I feel like from then on out, I mean, I guess Sawyer does help Charlie do some nefarious things when he ends up coming back to camp in season two. But I feel like after that, he really doesn't do anything terrible on the level of, you know, the inhaler stuff and hoarding everything, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I just don't know what that moment is where he breaks good. Yeah, um, well, there is, and that's the thing is that there's not going to be a moment, and that's more realistic than like Sawyer swinging in to save, you know, uh, Vincent and Aaron from a fire. You know, the closest thing is when he jumps off the helicopter. I think, or he jumps off, he jumps off the helicopter, and then from then on out, he's in mostly pure hero mode. Well, I'm trying to remember from the beginning of season three, does he do anything to try to help Kate escape at all? Um, to help her escape from, uh, from Hydra Island. Yeah, I'm trying. Well, he, like, he, yeah, he, he try he tries to, like, shock, absor- literally shock absorb, uh, some of the heat on Hydra Island. Yeah, from, uh, um, from, what's that guy's name? Uh, Phil, right? Uh, Pickett. Pick, Pickett. Yeah. Pickett. Phil's, Phil's the, uh. Oh, yeah, Dan, Dan Pickett, guy. I think his name is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so I think that might be, I don't know if you call self-sacrifice heroic necessarily, but that's probably where he's his most self-sacrificial in that regard, rather than being, uh, you know, self-sacrificial in the way of like, I'm a bad person, please punish me, Saeed. There's a, there's a lot of like one step forward, two step back moments with Sawyer where yeah. like he seems very heroic after the the whole raft excursion and what he did to save Walt and how he almost dies on the trek back with Anna Lucia and everybody. But that's what spurs him on to do the long con. Uh, so he's a bit of a D-hole from that moment forward for the next little while. And then in season three, he's got like some moments that are a little bit touch and go. But I think, honestly, starting even in season three is where he's much more heroic than he's not. Um, and frankly, it's it's basically like the breaking point is when he kills Anthony Cooper. Like it doesn't satisfy him in the way that he thought it always would. Yeah. And so what he, what he ends up doing from that moment forward is like, taking care of people a little bit better. Uh, he's like, he's a little gentler with other people. Like he's kinder to Hurley. Uh, he's, he's not, he's not always consistently kinder to Kate necessarily. Like he still has some, some shitty moments with Kate, uh, but he's really kind to, to Claire during everything with the barracks. Um, so I think that it's like, it's for me, it's probably fairly close to when he does one of his darkest things, which is outright murdering the original Sawyer killing Locke's dad. Uh, that that's a big that's a big breaking uh, that's a bad moment that leads to him breaking good. But I think like the cleanest one you could you could point to is him hopping off of the helicopter. Well, on that note, though, I think it's very interesting in that, you know, as much as he tries to move forward being like, I don't want to, you know, hunt down something that I did in the past. I feel like him killing Anthony Cooper is him truly shedding who, you know, Sawyer was to the point where when he we do hop forward in time to the Dharma days, he ends up going by James. He lets Juliet call him James, which makes us assume that he has told her everything, which Sawyer right. of season one definitely wouldn't do. So it does make me feel like if he does have like a single demon is still lingering in the past, despite him moving forward, him calling that demon as unsatisfying personally as it may have been, it had to have at least been a little bit of a load off his shoulders for him to be like, okay, I can move forward now. This truly is my tabula rasa. Let me start being a better guy. Uh, other number 10, we actually got into this a little bit, was uh, about the the whispers and can we make some sense of the fact that Frank's uh, It'll Come Back Around was a whisper. Daniel Brennan had asked us about that. Uh, we've weighed in on that a little bit, uh, that it could be the ghost thing. Uh, that makes some sense, especially if... Uh, 
if uh, if little Dougie Duckett uh, brought uh, Frank on the on the thing. I think his name was Danny Duckett before. No, I think. And then I, I think before that it was Danny Gooset. So <laughs> he's a man of many names. This is he now is yeah. mimicking Sawyer, who killed his father. It just is a cycle Gus that perpetuates Duckett. itself. Gus Duckett. Uh, other number 11, uh, Fitzy asks us something that we had already talked about. Uh, is Locke's story about his sister, Jeannie, true? Uh, for the record, I say yes, you say no? Yeah, if, but if I do say yes, and that means it's going to be the second season of The Haunting of Hill House, is Locke's foster home. Uh-huh, yeah, that'd be good. Uh, Josh B. with other number 11, what would have happened in a world where Sawyer got back to Los Angeles knowing full well he was tricked into killing someone? Yeah, I think you and I agree, like... Uh, gotta get Hibs. Like it's uh, straight to the T one thousand on that one. Either that, or he becomes like lowest of the low. Like I can't believe I actually took a life. Because that's the thing is Sawyer was sort of in pursuit of his six fingered man, but it's not like he was killing people to this point in pursuit of it. Now that he's done that, how does that fundamentally change his own behavior? He's got the taste. He's got the hunger. I mean, that now could be the case, stop. or it could be him, arguably, maybe turning a gun on himself. And being like, oh, I God, went yeah. too far in doing this. And what was it shown for if I ended up getting conned on my own? Uh, Jordan from Wisconsin with other number 13 has a business idea, Mike. Uh, Jordan writes and says, watching this episode gave me a great business opportunity idea. If you all can get me some seed money to get it up and running, I'd like to open a restaurant in the middle of nowhere. I will only offer two options. I'm confident I can make it work. Hopefully, I will not get shot. All right, Josh, we are the Dharma Shark tank here. What do you think about this idea? Are you in or are you out? Uh, it's it's, it's got to be, uh, you got to give me something more than mild sauce and hot sauce. I, and is it just shrimp? Well, is it just shrimp? Is there Are there any carbs? No, that's, is there that, some scoops, yeah, there's a, there scoops is a, of rice? There's a sides truck, but it's about five miles down the road. That's the way the, this, this food economy works. Well, here's the thing, though, Josh. I feel like for two anxious people such as ourselves, the elements of choice plagued us consistently right this this fear of like will i make the wrong decision and how will that affect you know the rest of my day i feel like actually it's a very smart idea to provide a very limited selection of options so it's like okay i don't need to punish myself for making a wrong choice because i i had my hands tied but i think that there's almost something more stressful about the two-door situation where you go you go one path and it leads you one way and you go the other path and it leads you the other way and there are no other options like that's almost more stressful Mm. I'd almost rather like the shotgun approach where like I could go any number of ways. But when it says binary is that I'm like, oh, God, there's a clear yes and no. I'm either about to select yes or no. Whereas if there's a ton of choices, it kind of feels like eh, it's probably like yes ish at least. I hear you loud there's and like, clear. We're only doing you know, one choice on this truck. One choice. Yeah. So one one way of shrimp and then you got yourself a deal, Jordan. Uh, it's got to be hot sauce. Uh, other number 14, uh, the Ben behind the curtain asks us, if you could have gotten one of Hibbs or Frank Duckett back for another episode on Lost, who would you take and how would you use them? Um, my answer would be Hibbs and we would get the Tampa job and they would do it right this time. My answer would be Hibbs, but in the sideways universe where he takes the form of another cop in addition to <laughs> Miles and, and Sawyer yeah. and he like ends up turning to he ends up being a corrupt cop who turns on them. Yeah, yeah, I think that and they that- have a shootout in a canal. Yeah, <laughs> that'd, be <good. laughs> that'd be great. I like that. It ends in the uh, throw him in the in the molten lead. Yeah, but then he gives a thumbs up on the way down. Well, that's the other guy. The other robot does that. 
Uh, let's close out here with a roundup. Uh, Dallin Servo is going to report one more dude. We've got 43 oh, dudes that total, magic Mike. number. We should, have, we should have really savored that moment because now that moment is gone. It was gone. great last week. Yeah, so if homecoming brought us to 42 dudes, we're now breaking past that. We're at 43 dudes. We'll never have the magic number again. It was a great time, though. It was a great time. Uh, Jim Fells uh, with the music analysis this week and also with, uh, with the, the knowledge that at 16 minutes... The flashbacks in Outlaws are the longest by time of any off-island flashback. It did not feel like it. It didn't. I mean, that Um, was more than a third of the episode, nearly half. But I guess maybe because it was so propelled by both action and character that I didn't have a problem with it as much as, as we spoke about with Homecoming, the fact that maybe those flashbacks felt a little too egregious and unnecessary. This all felt so needed that I can't think of anything I would cut in the flashbacks this episode nothing nothing all of it was great except maybe like when he sees the boar instead of his dad but that was so fast that doesn't matter yeah and look uh, look, and it, and it loves to do freaky dreams we didn't find yeah. out claire's freaky dream charlie rebuffed her before she was able to reveal it so we had to get our quota in yeah i wonder what happened in that dream i don't know i mean uh i was really hoping considering claire's latest dream god help charlie i don't know maybe he'd she would dream of him being like strung up from a tree with like licorice around his neck or something Speaking of Charlie, David Owen says that he'd been listening to Dominic Monaghan give an interview on Joe Rogan from many years ago, and apparently said that his favorite animals are ants. Really? Yeah. Ants? ants are number one. <laughs> ants in his pants. Whose favorite uh, animal is an ant? Uh, Dominic Monaghan and Paul Rudd's. I guess so, uh, but Paul uh, Rudd at least has a reason. And Evangeline Lilly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess she prefers wasps. I'm... Why an ant? I don't know. Let's go check out Joe Rogan. I'm, I'm going to have to say, maybe Charlie was indulging in some of that DST when he indulged to his favorite animal was an ant, because that is a very odd choice. Uh, Count Jackal was playing I Never on Twitter this week. Very funny. Uh, chugging blood. Energy blood. Uh, <laughs> Count Jackal, great follow. Oh, great follow. It has lived up to the hype. Absolutely. Everybody... Uh, be thankful. I certainly am that Count Jackula has made his way into our lives in some way, shape, or form. I just love all of the Mike Bloom aliases. Uh, Count Jackula, Moom Muhlenberg. Uh, there are some great Mr. Muhlenberg stuff uh, from the great Angela Bloom, uh, Mike's wonderful spouse, uh, who, is, uh, who, who is spilling the Muhlenberg tea on Twitter this past week. Has a picture of you being foisted upon the shoulders of of uh, fellow Muhlen- Mr. Muhlenberg would- wannabes, is that right? Yeah, they were my fellow competitors, and I didn't even realize it. I got crowned. There actually is a, a YouTube video of the highlights of it that I sent Josh <laughs> to watch. Maybe maybe I'll see if I'm brave enough uh, to post it on social media, or someone will do it <laughs> for me, where you get to see uh, all of our highlights, including my entrance, which was done to the Winter <laughs> Olympics for some reason. That turned into an extended pratfall a la Sawyer. <laughs> My swimsuit portion where I stripped down into little black and white checkered, speaking of lost, uh, much like a checkerboard, some briefs and danced to the Austin Powers theme song. And I had taped a picture of the queen to my crotch and the Union Jack to my ass uh, and my talent where I lip synced to Lady Gaga's Bad Romance. <laughs> Uh, decked completely in white. I guess it's sort of drag, because I'm pretty sure I just grabbed some stuff from the costume shop. Uh, and my formal wear, as she put it out, first off, I will say that uh, I had to bring out an expert for the formal wear, uh, an escort, I should say. And 
the woman who would become my wife uh, five years later, Miss Angela Bloom, was by my side as I walked down there. And to make it formal, I tied about 20 different ties to my body to make sure I was the most formal person there. And I guess that pushed me over the top. You get to see my crowning moment in that video. I end up winning. And Rudy style, I didn't expect it, but everyone else hurls me up on their shoulders. Uh, and it is a moment of pure ecstasy and confusion on my part. We have to post. That. All right, we're post. We're gonna post it. We'll post. We'll post that in the show notes. If you want to watch the the <laughs> the arrival of Mister Mule and then you you watch all my other competitors, and I was watching it. I think like, how the hell did I win this thing? Like you have, I competed against like it's really two guys drumming. Uh, <laughs> one guy like sang uh the song from Free Willy. One guy, understandably, uh, I was understandable why I beat him. He just rolled a, rolled a blunt and made gin and juice for his talent. But like. There were some legitimately one of the guys who I beat is like a professor of dance at Austin, Texas University. Now I don't know how I won this thing, Josh. I'm like Hurley. Mike, I just sort of found the numbers, and now I'm here. You're a talented man. Thank you. you know? I've always known this about you, even before I knew about Mr. Muhlenberg. Well, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. I'm glad I kept the briefs then. I've seen you dance. <laughs> That's true. Never forget. It was a very similar type of dance from the way I would be dancing in Fiji nearly a decade later. I've seen you dance. I've seen you dance. You're very good. Very good. Uh, so we'll we'll link to we'll link to both uh, Mr. Muhlenberg and if anyone hasn't seen Mike Bloom's Fijian dance number uh, before, I'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, this is as just well. the episode of the week where I just suffer from uh, some slight personal. Just, why not? Why, let, listen, let me, Sawyer and his personal demons out this week. Why not me? You know, let me put myself in the same boat as him. Okay, I just made a note to myself. <laughs> don't forget to link in the show notes to Mike Bloom's Fijian dance. Uh, cause it's real. It's like, uh, it's like you're 2009 and 2019, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's like it's I've not changed whatsoever. Yeah, you haven't changed at all. Oh my God. All right. Well, let's see if there's any changes in the 23 points this week. Uh, I'm giving out two MVP points. Mike is giving out three. Mike is giving out two LVP points. I'm giving out three. The headlines coming into this first place, still Kate, second place, still lock. Third place is a tie between five different people in the fourth uh, point getting tier. Jack, Saeed, Charlie, Claire, and Son all have four points apiece. Uh, in the LVP category, we've got four people with negative four. Sawyer, Christian Shepard, Boone, and Shannon. Uh, I think we're going to get some movement this week. Uh, why don't we just cut the suspense and start getting into it, Mike? Well... Let's cut with the man who shoots. I'm going to give a point to Sawyer. And it's sort of like the confidence man thing where maybe I'm not necessarily giving a point to Sawyer because of what he ended up doing in Australia. But I'm going to give it to Josh Holloway because he again okay. shows that in an extremely talented cast, he might stand chief among them in just what he has to do and what he's able to do with such an infinitely complicated man, sweetheart. And I was so impressed by what he was able to do this episode. He's a he's a spectacularly underrated actor. I think, like, you think of Sawyer, you think he's very funny, you think he could be very dark, you think he could be an, a real asshole, he, obviously he's super hot, but, like, I think it's often forgotten, just, like, he's, a, Josh Holloway's a really good actor, uh, and so I give him an MVP point here as well, and it's it's mostly for the performance, but it's also because of some character growth with him on the island. I think, like, you have to think of it on the relative scale. And on the relative scale this week, he does choose not to shoot the boar, ultimately. Uh, he does choose to go bring the gun back to Jack. You can see the pain on his face as he's realizing that he met Jack's father, that Jack had a remorseful father, that Jack's dad had done things that were mean to Jack, and it helps to explain Jack a little bit. 
but he still can't quite bring himself to fully own up to any of this stuff with Jack yet. But it's pushing him closer to what's going to be one of the best scenes of the entire series. Um, so for all those reasons, I got to give Sawyer a point here as well. So we're pushing him. We're pushing him closer to to neutralizing those negative points. He's still not clear yet, but he's uh, he's two points free from the bottom. He could, yeah, he could use the points and he got them. I'm so excited to get to that scene in just two weeks, Josh. That's the one advantage. Uh, of well, us. Uh, in recording yeah, time. In recording that's time. The advantage of us doing the hurry up in terms of recording. In, these in listening time, it's still going to be the weekly. But for you and I, we'll get there soon. Let me give a point to Saeed here. Uh, Saeed plays a very key role, much like Rose did several weeks back in Charlie's rehabilitation. Uh, and I also love him being sassy Saeed with Sawyer. Like he he has a really good episode for someone who remains pretty much on the peripherals of everything in terms of how he's able to really pull Charlie out of the hole that he's dug himself into. And he might have been the only one to do it as one of the only people who has blood on his hands like Charlie just got. Yeah, I'm never mad at Saeed getting a, an MVP point. Um I'll give one to Kate. Kate is just hogging all these MVP I points. Know, like, an and, and it's about tough because it's like, we're tipping the balance here, but like what she does and what she sort of helps Sawyer realize is uh, is pretty awesome. Kate continues yeah, to she's be great. great. She's great. She's great in this episode. What do you want? I don't think I have to explain it. She's great in I Never. She tracks effectively to the, to the pig pen. Uh, <laughs> she's appropriately disgusted and leaves Sawyer behind when he's like toying with the little piggy. And then she she's there to like kind of like guide him towards not killing the boar. So I feel like it's a great week for Kate this week. I'm going to give a point to Christian Shepard. Hey, it's crazy. Never thought it would happen. But again, I think Christian's intentions are there. I think we see a completely different side of this guy that we are not going to see for a long time that shows him so interesting. And as he says, weak, but there's almost strength in that weakness and him admitting that he is weak and not putting up this facade of like, to be a doctor, you must be the most emotionally strong robot ever. And which maybe Robert Patrick would have been a great uh, surgeon <laughs> at St. Sebastian. But I think yeah. Christian and being able to look at himself in the mirror and realize who he truly is and the effect that he had on his son. And not only that, but compliment his son as well, despite the havoc he wreaked on his life. I mean, there's going to be ample opportunity to give Christian Shepard some MVP points. So I'm going to take advantage here. All right. Uh, all right. So, so turning to the LVPs. It's a hard one to dole out LVPs because there's a lot of like even the people who are going to get pinged on the LVPs here, I think, are uh, great actors. Right. You know, like I think like uh, like the performances are, are really strong and the characters seem good. Uh, it's a hard one to like actually like dunk on anybody this week. That being said, double bucket for Frank <laughs> Duckett. I'm going to uh, double barrel shot to, yeah, to the one chest. One hot, Frank one Duckett. mild. Yeah, he's gonna get the the mild the the mild shot is just the obvious. He dies in this episode, right. so he's an automatic LVP for Josh Wigley. Uh, but the the hot sauce is man, that shrimp was just very unappetizing. <laughs> I I I can't blame the shrimp. I can only blame you. Have the cook. lost your Michelin star, Frank Duckett. In yeah, addition to so your I'm, life, I'm, <laughs> so I'm stripping that of Frank Duckett here. Um, I'm gonna dock a point for Hibbs. Look, I do acknowledge the fact of what he's able to get Sawyer to do, but the fact yeah. that not only is it reprehensible, but the fact that dude totally ends up uh, throwing some cold water on a Sawyer's hookup with Harold Perrineau's yeah, wife. Yeah, that's uncool. Like, not uncool, that's uncool, man. 
that's that's why I give Hibbs a minus one as well. Um, also because like it's very hard. Like I was like, do I give it to Christian because he probably died here today? Uh, but like Christian's so great in this episode. Do I give it to Sawyer because he killed the wrong guy? But Sawyer's so great in this episode. So I very nearly took one away from Sawyer. But in the end, I was just like, ah, Hibbs Hibbs is 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 an uncool dude to Sawyer in so many ways in this episode. Plus, he doesn't even have the guts to show back up again. Uh, so uh, down down with Hibbs. Uh, a minus one from Mike and a minus one from me as well. And two, uh, minus two for Frank Duckett. And you've got one more to, to dole out. Oh, boy. Locke is so weird in this episode, Josh. Right? You're going you're gonna to hit Locke with a minus one? What's he skulking around in the jungle, commenting about, you know, sassily about how... Uh, you know, he brings them coffee! He brings them coffee and then tells a weird he story about his sister about, breaking he her neck! He's sharing about his life. He's trying to connect. Unprompted. He's trying to connect with these people, you monster. I do not think he's trying to connect with these people. I think he's trying to tell a weird-ass story from a weird-ass man. He doesn't do anything bad here, but he's super freaky. Yow, I'm taking a point away from Locke. Wow, that feels rough. I don't like it. Mad about it. Mad about Locke getting hit for the coffee. He brings them coffee. I'm, I, maybe the apparently he made good coffee too. I mean, listen, I think they were jockeying for any sort of coffee, even if it was just ground up dirt that he called coffee. They'd be totally fine with it, considering how deprived they've been. Yeah. All right. Well, so Locke's gonna get a negative one. So what that means is there is a change in the MVP side. Kate is in the lead, nine MVP points. Saeed is now in second place, cleanly with five, uh, and Locke uh, joins that that fourth uh, that that third place four point tier. Uh, meanwhile. Sawyer escapes the bottom, uh, and Christian escapes the bottom as well. Sawyer is now at negative two. Christian's at negative three, and uh, the the brother, sister, Boone, and Shannon bringing up the rear at negative four. Wow! Uh, and they didn't even appear in this episode. I believe this was actually the first episode that they don't even make like a cameo background appearance in. So they are in absentia, but definitely forefront of our minds when it comes to the LVPs. Still killing it in the back. Uh, let's get to four point two stars. Uh, again, make sure you're sending us your 4.2 star ratings for each episode. We take my score, we take Bloom's score, we take the average audience score, we combine those three points for the current down the hatch score. This is a flexible document until we are done with season one. When it comes to Outlaws, Mike, this is this to me is a is a more it, in some ways it's not as classic an episode as Confidence Man. I feel like like I think that Confidence Man. The, like all the stuff that happens in the the being tied up to a tree in a jungle of mystery and then finding out about the Sawyer reveal for the first time is still so classic. But I still think that this is a better episode. Yep. I agree. Uh, so so I'm, so I'm gonna I'm gonna rate it higher than Confidence Man, which I gave a three point six. Uh, I, there was a point where I had this as high as a four point I think that's too high for Outlaws, uh, but it's still pretty high. I'm gonna give it a three point eight. This was really really fun to go back and revisit. Some really just dynamite scenes, very funny scenes, very emotional scenes. Uh, excellent acting from from Josh Holloway. Uh, an episode where it's really hard to pick an LVP. Uh, this was just a really really good episode of the show. I freaking loved this episode, especially yeah, it's really good. Especially not, again, not to uh, disparage too much the episodes that we've been watching as of late, but this is one of the first ones in a while where I'm like I'm just having such a good time from both the comedic and the dramatic perspectives watching this there's just so much character richness to it and again we had a lot of that stuff especially in building up characters like boone and michael the past few weeks but there's something so interesting about seeing sawyer interact with these different types of people and having his character be represented in that fashion almost indirect characterization rather than direct characterization that i just i loved 
so much. Now, I gave, you know, uh, All the Best Daddies and White Rabbit 4.0s. I would put it up there, but I do feel like what those episodes do better is that they also do have all that great character, you know, forward movement with some plot elements as well. I feel like the one thing against Outlaws and putting it up there with, you know, your solitaries and your pilots and your walkabouts as well is that really nothing happens in this episode from a plot perspective, whereas all those other episodes had the great character goodness while also forwarding the general mythos of the island. So it's not going to be too far of a cry from the fours. I'm going to give it a 3.9 in honor of okay, Outwit, cool. Outplay, yeah, Outlast, Outlaws. <laughs> I like it. I think that's good. Uh, the audience currently has it at a 3.4. Wow. Uh, well, so they, actually, little- they actually have it rated lower than Confidence Man on average. Yeah, a little bit colder than than us. I see a a two in here is is tipping it down a little bit. Uh, there's a two point nine in here, a, a, a flat three, a couple flat threes, a two point five, as low as a one point eight. Whoa! Uh, so so people. Uh, oh, sorry, no, I'm I'm misreading that. That's from uh from from last week's episode for homecoming. Uh, so no one point eight. That would be hard. I like the noise that you made, like the the guttural, like no, you can't do that. Uh, so it gets as as low as a two point five, I think, uh, as it stands for outlaws or a two rather for outlaws, which is still pretty low. Um, but I, I think, you know, if you take this or confidence, man, I, I can't blame you for liking one a little bit more than the other. Uh, as far as the episode rankings as it stands, uh, Outlaws is, is just outside of the top five right now. It's at number six. Uh, it's part of the Oceanic Six at the moment. Uh, and it is two spots higher than confidence, man. House of the Rising Sun is standing in between Outlaws and confidence, man. Uh, interesting. Uh, three point seven eight for for Outlaws and three point five six for Confidence Man. A three point six one for House of the Rising Sun. What's going to happen next week when we get to in translation? Uh, are we going to get a, a Sawyer Quan sandwich? Is that what we're up to here in the in the four point two? It is weird because we talked last week about how the Moth and Homecoming are right next to each other as well in terms of the Charlie Pace stuff. Do you think it's just a matter of because these episodes have very similar tones to them and that they're focusing around the same character? It just sort of warrants a similar type of ranking maybe it's possible it's possible i think that there's like i don't know it's all a feel thing yeah all of this i will say uh i'm excited for in translation i don't know if we should encompass the dot 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 into like our uh our naming of it do we do like uh in translation (laughs) uh it's like in translation exactly uh i will say i i don't know uh if it's gonna be right below confidence man in translation is an episode that's close to my heart because I freaking love the Jin flashback, particularly what happens with, you know, the Rashomon of it all, of seeing all the sun stuff we saw on the image of Jin now from Jin's perspective and really finding out more about his character, which is a very tragic classist story that we don't really discover a lot on Lost, uh, even off island. On island, we get to see the Roth stuff. There's some interesting things there, but I'm really excited to dig into the Jin flashback of it all. It's been too long, Josh, since we've gotten some Quan talk and it's well overdue. Yeah, we're going to get some Bopo, I believe. Bopo is back! Bopo's back. Get your MVP points ready for Bopo <laughs> the dog. Um, all right, so we will be back next week. That episode of In Translation, our recap, is going to drop on December 6th. We are recording that podcast on December 3rd, so get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com by the morning of December 3rd. And a reminder for the rest of the schedule, so you can send your feedback and your 4.2 star ratings on time for each of these podcasts that we're recording in the near future. December 
December 4th is when we are recording our numbers podcast. December 5th, we're going to record Deus Ex Machina. December 6th, we're going to record Do No Harm. December 9th, The Greater Good. December 10th, Born to Run. December 11th, Exodus Part 1. So if you want to get your feedback in for all of those podcasts, that's great. We're certainly open to it as long as you get it in on time. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Again, we are not going to hold ourselves so strictly to the 1516 of the other segment. We'll just get whatever, uh, we'll get through whatever we get through just to make sure that these podcasts are still coming out at a reasonable clip. Uh, tune into the In Translation podcast as well to find out who won the Lindelof, uh, Volume 1. The winner shall be revealed in the next podcast subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch your ratings and reviews greatly greatly appreciated also greatly appreciated dc universe one last shout out one last shout out to dc universe if you love dc movies shows and comic books we've got good news for you dc universe the ultimate dc membership is offering a special 14 day free trial for our listeners here on post show recaps Visit dcuniverse.com slash podcast one and use promo code postshow to start your free trial. DC Universe has so much to offer, including their action-packed original series like Doom Patrol, Young Justice, Outsiders, Swamp Thing, and Titans Season 2. It doesn't stop there. The highly anticipated adult animated series Harley Quinn is premiering November 29th, which means that's available to you right now. Tune in to see Harley break things off with the Joker and attempt to make it on her own. She going to be the newly liberated queen pin of Gotham City? You'll find out if you catch every new episode on Fridays. If you want to experience more DC, watch new animated films. Enjoy classic animated series remastered in HD. Binge some fan-favorite DC shows, watch classic films, and so much more. And if reading's more your thing, DC Universe has over 20,000 digital comics that you can access all at your fingertips. DC Universe is available on your favorite devices, so you can watch on the go. Don't waste any more time. Start your free 14-day trial today. Go to dcuniverse.com slash podcast one and use that promo code postshow. That's dcuniverse.com slash podcast O-N-E with the promo code postshow to start your 14-day free trial. The code is valid through December 31st. 2019 post show recaps is sponsored by warner brothers digital networks the operator of dc universe dc universe is only available in the u.s mike bloom i to finish things off i know that again the way this is releasing is the day after american thanksgiving and i know i say this every time but i always feel super thankful for the hatchlings especially this past week i'm still stunned at the results that the Lindelof was able to provide. I don't know the outright <laughs> results, but the product itself. Yeah, uh, the lulls. I, I had so much fun. That was my first ever involvement in an, uh, a hyphen off. Uh, yeah. And so I, I absolutely love to talk with, you know, the the apparition of Casey Kasem to listen to <laughs> yeah. all the various songs about about Lost, to, to find a winner, to finally give out a, a Wombat Station hat. And for those of you that are wondering about the Wandalorian uh check your hologram projectors at some point in the coming future because maybe, maybe that's something that might be coming up due to a pair we're gonna figure it we'll, out we'll, we'll figure it out but we'll figure it th- out thank you all so much for listening for your feedback can't wait to hear all your feedback as well for our next little stretch of time and happy black rock friday to everybody out there. happy black rock friday to everybody what a great time here on down the hatch we'll be back in short order with our recap of in translation until then everybody take care goodbye Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty.